Hello, and thank you for tuning in. This is Love What I Love, a podcast where we beg our partner to love something we do, whether it be a movie, TV show, or anything in between. We're your hosts, Andy. And Masha. And this week, we're talking about Sunset Boulevard. Sunset Boulevard is a 1950 noir-inspired film written by Billy Wilder, Charles Brackett, and D.M. Marshman Jr., and directed by Billy Wilder. It stars Gloria Swanson, William Holden, Eric Von Stroheim, and Nancy Olsen. The story follows a down-on-his-luck screenwriter, Joe Gillis, who becomes entangled with an aging Hollywood star determined to make her comeback. It's a glorious Paramount picture from the <laughs> golden era. Ah, uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> I feel like I should know all of these actors. They yeah. seem like they've been in the big pictures. They've been in some pictures. But no, I mean, I don't William know Holden them. specifically. William Holden? I actually don't really know him that much. Uh, uh, I mean, he's been in a lot of stuff, but uh, I'll, I'll, I'll get into it. I think, I think all these people are the best cast. This might be one of the best cast movies in the world. Oh, you think so? I think, that, I think everything's so perfect. I, I can't wait to dive into why. Is Nancy Olsen related to Mary-Kate and Ashley Olsen, and that's where they got their acting chops yep, from? Yep, that's exactly how it works. <laughs> every Olsen's the same. Yep. Every, every, every last name is connected, no matter what. I mean, how common is Olsen? I've never met another Olsen. I, I went to school with an Olsen. Really? Yeah. can't remember her first name, but it was an Olsen. Whoa. Ashley Olsen? No, wait, that's Mary Kate. <laughs> I was like, I was like, I was, I was like, no way, it's Ashley Olsen. I was hoping that if I just kind of like went for it, my brain would fill in the blank. And so I was like, my brain was like, sure, I'll fill in the blank. Ashley Olsen. Like, you know, one of them. Uh, no, definitely. Oh, that's hilarious. Yeah, I don't know. Someone went to my high school, if you remember an Olsen. There was a girl. Her last name was Olsen. All right. I'm just saying, it's, an, it's not it's not that crazy. It's got to be. Uh, from Always Sunny, Caitlin Olsen, that plays, that's D. Oh, okay, yeah, okay. Olsen's pretty common. <laughs> Ashley Olsen. <laughs> Shut up. Oh, nut. You got it, dude. All right, to get this picture back on the train. I don't know if you would know these actors, but... And that you wouldn't know this director, but Billy Wilder is... I mean, pun intended, one of the wildest directors <laughs> of his time. Like, Billy Wilder's awesome. He's... Probably like when I think of like old timey directors that I love, mm -hmm. like I'm always gonna be like a snob who likes his Hitchcock, but Hitchcock's a little bit pretentious. Billy Wilder's like the real person's Ooh. filmmaking. This guy makes like some real raw shit, and like he, it probably my second favorite, like behind him. Really? Um, yeah, just like I don't know, his stuff kind of transcends whatever era he's like making it in. You know, like it's just, it's just everything seems a little bit more modern than everything else, all its contemporaries. Mm -hmm. And he just seems to have a style where his movies don't age as quickly as other movies, like that his peers were making. Okay. You know, like sometimes I hear of certain great films from the golden era and I watch it and I really have to put myself in the context of that time to like fully immerse myself. And if I accidentally like slip out of that mentally and I like remember that it's 2022, I'll be like, all right, it's a little hokey. Something about Billy Wilder's movies, like, not, I haven't even seen nearly all of them. I, when I, by saying that, I, I've pretty much seen, like, his big ones. Um, what are his big ones? Uh, Double Indemnity is a big noir movie. And he switches genres a lot, too. So that's why he's oh, awesome. So, that's like, cool. I, this isn't my quote, but when I was watching all the DVDs, there was, like, some film critic where he was saying, like, Billy Wilder makes the best movie in whatever genre he steps in. And so, like, Double Indemnity, yeah, you could argue all day, but it's it's always considered one of the best film noirs ever made. 
Um, and then in 59, he made Some Like It Hot, which tons of people would always say is one of the best comedies ever made. I've heard that title yeah, before. Yeah. Um, he did uh, The Apartment in 1960, which is like, I don't even know what genre you would call that, but it's fucking brilliant. Mm. Um, so he's done, and then he's uh, he, he's done, I think, a, either a war movie or some or like an escape movie, kind of like The Great Escape-ish. That I never saw, but people say like that's one of the best like war escape movies or whatever. You know what I mean? So like yeah. he never really makes the same thing twice, which is pretty awesome. Which you know Hitchcock is varied as well too, but he definitely like it's easy to spot a Hitchcock movie from far away. Mm-hmm. And Billy Wilder, so you really you got to read the credits almost that you're like Jesus. He did like he's very varied. He doesn't like to do the same thing twice. That's wild. Um, and so yeah, this was this was a huge one for him. And he's not even American. He's Austrian. His he started his oh. career uh, making silent movies in Germany, and then, he, and then he came over to America and just fucking crushed it. Just became one of our biggest directors. That's kind of cool that he got to put this story to life. Exactly. I mean, he, and he came up with this. This isn't based on anything. It's not, right. There's no like book or anything. That's so cool. yeah. He wrote this with Charles Brackett, who was like his writing partner. They wrote I think like four or five movies before this together, maybe even more. Movies? You mean pictures? Pictures. They wrote a bunch of pictures for Paramount, <laughs> and then. Apparently, the third writer, D.M. Marshman, I, could, I couldn't find out much about him, but I think they were, Billy and Charles were just unhappy with their initial draft, and they hired him because they liked his work to, like, kind of punch it up a little bit. Mm. So I think he came on to, like, smooth some stuff out, but it's like... Well, he's the whoever Holden is. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Joe Gillis. Yeah. Yeah. They were like, you're not leaving, young man. <laughs> um, some other just housekeeping facts that we always like to shoot off. Uh, budget was 1.75 mil. Whoa, that's a lot. 50, but it grossed <laughs> 5 mil. So it was Whoa, sm- that's a lot. It, yeah. it <laughs> opened at like, I don't really know how movies opened back then, but it opened at Radio City Music Hall. It's like Singing in the Rain. Yes. It might not have been Radio City. I'm like, fuck, sometimes my brain does that where I remember what you said. It, it opened up in a place like that, but it might not have been Radio City. Okay. Uh, I'll look it up slowly while we're talking. I'll get back to you. All right. But anyway, it was the biggest opening they ever had, like, at the time. Like, they never had a movie that make as much money as this did when it opened up. Nice. Um, I'm know. surprised because we just watched the preview for it, and it was not good. Yeah. <laughs> have you ever seen a good preview from 1950? Like, most previews stunk. Singing yeah, in the Rain was like four so. minutes, and they rattled through every scene <laughs> like a list. It was yeah. a goddamn nightmare. <laughs> you can't blame the previews. Nobody. That's just like. I'm just saying, like, a preview's supposed to make you want to go, so I'm like, eh, whatever. Maybe people just didn't have a lot going on back then. So yeah, like, oh, like, I'll just how see how often were you seeing previews? Like, you know what I mean? It's yeah. like, it's, I think, I think it's fine. This was a, it was a smash. Billy Wilder was such a hot name, it was like. Sold. Like, yeah, like him making a movie is like when like Nolan makes one. You just put his name up and they were like, oh shit, everyone, you know. Mm. Most people, like a lot of people know, would just go for the, that fact or whatever. Alright. Um, Want to play Guess the Tomato? Well, I imagine Wilder was popular among the critics, so I'm going to give it a 90% critics and an 85% audience. Ooh, you're low in both categories. Oh! We got 98. Ah, oh, 98. Pop, pop, pop. Yep. Um... It had like three like bad reviews, <laughs> like, and, uh, and and they seemed pretty petty, and uh, and that audience was ninety five. Whoa! Yeah, All right, it's pretty beloved. Were the three critics? Uh, they were like they make silent actors look bad. No, it was just more people like who thought Billy Wilder was kind of like spitting on Hollywood when he should be like grateful for Hollywood because that's how he made his. Like, oh please! That's how he made his life. That's what I mean by they sounded kind of petty. Where it was just like, like they didn't care for the critique because pres- presum- presumably 
they took it personally. You know what? <laughs> we could talk about that later. That doesn't make sense to me. Nope. Uh, I got it in my in my in my section later. Alright. But uh, it was nominated for eleven Oscars. Damn. It won three. I always forget that like categories change. You know, they haven't Over always time. been they haven't always been the same category. So it won three categories that technically don't exist anymore, or they do, but in different categories. They have they won best story and screenplay, which was one category. Which I, I guess, guess just became best writer. writing. Yeah, best writing, best art direction dash set direction mm. colon black and white. So, oh. so I guess they Oscar. They, they, they used to have a color. <laughs> they Oscar. They Oscar up black and white. Little different. <laughs> so Oscars were segregated. Oh, uh, that's that's the headline that everyone should write about. So Oscars <laughs> were segregated in the fifties. Don't even look into it. You heard it here, <laughs> folks. Yep. No, uh, but yeah. So the, for the direction, art direction, the set direction, and then uh, best score for a dramatic or comedic picture, which is again funny because oh. I'm like, what are the other? Is there a best score for? A musical is that like, yeah because there's so many musicals that they had their own category i believe Weird. it but yeah so but it but it was nominated for all the big ones like best picture and best actress and all that they just didn't win oh. um and it's one of those classic ones where like now in history everyone's always like she should have got it you know like it's uh, it's like a driving miss daisy versus do the right thing situation where i see we're all I just see. like eh, we know what movies remembered a little bit more do you happen to know what movie they lost to yeah so best picture went to all about eve um, which I've, I actually should see, but I've, I've never seen it. it. It's with Betty Davis, and it's funny because it's also it's also about like an aging actress, kind of like dealing with that. But it's about a Broadway actress, uh, and it's completely different like tone. It's not the same kind of movie, but it's just it's funny. It's the same subject matter. Yeah, but it's funny because both Betty Davis and Gloria Swanson lost Best Actress <laughs> to Judy Holiday in Born Yesterday, which I. I looked into it. I already forgot what it is, but it's Betty Davis has said in interviews that like Judy Holiday in Born Yesterday was kind of like a very safe mainstream pick, mm. and like most people would agree, it probably wasn't the best role, but it was like a very like across the board like likable role. Okay. And so she, th- Betty Davis, thinks that like her and Gloria Swanson kind of canceled each other out because they were both like doing the best they've ever done at that time in their career, <laughs> and like people just couldn't choose like which one was better. So they oh, were, like, that's yeah, hilarious. Let's go, let's, let's go with that one. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, this is all hearsay later around the fact that should have read in interviews. So yeah. the, oh, this is fact. And Oscars are whatever. Yeah. You know, they're they're fun to talk about, but they don't really mean Burn that much. Burn on Judy. Um, and then f- other fun fact, you know how we like to track our Library of Congress significant movies? Oh, yeah. So, of course this is in there. I mean, that's not even a question. Obviously. But not only that, this was part of the first batch when they invented it. Damn. So they invented the Congress. Like, they're like we gotta we gotta categorize significant films Whoa. what are the most significant films this was in that chunk i didn't read how many there were yeah but i couldn't imagine it's a huge number like that's how that's how big this one that's was. pretty like, crazy like that's it was probably cool. one of the reasons they made it like, they were like we can't let yeah. sunset boulevard get forgotten um also should the library hire us i mean because we know we're bringing these movies up and then finding out that they're initiated yeah but i don't know what they would hire us for. <laughs> <laughs> nor do i really want to go work for the library <laughs> I know it's library. No, Congress, but like, but. <laughs> no, you're literally looking around and be like, that's culturally relevant for oh, our society. Oh, to, like hire us to pick new ones. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I guess they, they got a guy. <laughs> <laughs> they got or a, a gal. <laughs> um. <laughs> <laughs> and Billy Wilder, he was saying he kind of came up with this idea 
literally like because he he was living in hollywood in the 40s that's when he moved there mm -hmm. and he would drive around in all those like the type of mansion that glorious uh with norma desmond lives in in this movie like they were they were all still up so yeah. he literally would drive around hollywood and just see these like old homes and they, people would know who lived there and stuff and that they were these people right. these stars who weren't working anymore but they still had all their money and like that's how he kind of just envisioned the story we just kind of envisioned like what if one of them was like going insane up there you know right. like just stuck in that crazy house and uh i don't know that's that's just thought it was interesting where like that was where the story was born out of that's cool yeah did he also was he also behind on his car payments nah was he sh a struggling writer everything yep, is 100% autobiographical <laughs> <laughs> Paid all his debts. No, I don't know anything about him. <laughs> <laughs> Other than his work. Um, all right, yeah, but I just want to tell you, uh, go, jump into this cast real quick before we go into the movie because, like like I said, I think probably one of the best casts. Like, they, he puts so much thought into each person being in this movie. Mm -hmm. um, so we'll just start with the big one with Norma Desmond. Norma. So that was Gloria Swanson. Gloria. So in real life, Gloria Swanson was a huge silent star who oh. was no longer famous. So all right, all right off the bat, it's like semi-autobiographical in that sense. That's which, pretty cool. Which is how in the movie they were able to have all that footage of her young and silent movies, how they had all those publicity photos around the house. Right. Because those were all real Gloria Swanson stuff, real Gloria that's Swanson awesome. movies. So like he, he knew right off the bat that that's the route he wanted to go because he wanted like that level of realism and he wanted the character to understand it. And he picked some, he tried to pick some other ones, but they all like failed. Like they all like didn't want to do it for different reasons. Some thought they were being mocked. Like they just right. Thought, that's they, they were like, no, I'm not doing this. Like I'm gonna humiliate myself. Uh, some like there was one lady I can't remember her name, but she was Polish. And the real reason she wasn't a star anymore is because once talkies came in, people realized she had a Polish accent. Oh and wow! So and then that was the real reason why she didn't get this movie was they went to go meet her because they were like, oh, she was great, maybe she could do it, and she was just like, hello, like, I can't do Polish, oh. and they were just like, and they were like, yeah, I don't think so. Oh no! So that was like a real case of like of of the Yikes. theme of the movie. Um, but yeah, eventually Gloria Swanson just got it, and she almost said no because she hadn't been in a movie in almost nine years, like, right? And, and hadn't starred in a movie in almost twenty years. And so she just thought it was going to be some, like, shit side role. So she's like, right. I don't want to do this. And then they and then they were like, no, they want you to star in it. And she was like, are you kidding me? Ooh. And she took it dead serious. And she didn't hate the talking pictures? No, no. she. And, oh, yeah, no. She didn't, not only did she not hate them, she just wasn't getting work. Uh. Um, and she's way more sane by all accounts. Like, <laughs> you know, like, I've watched plenty of interviews with her. She seems very normal. That's cool. Um, Very smart. And, uh she what the hell was it oh and plus so she was still consistently working just not in movies so she was doing it's like theater oh. she had a radio show in new york so she had, they actually already knew that she wasn't just a silent star who couldn't do anything with her voice they mm. knew she had a because they knew this character needed a very theatrical kind of operatic style to it yeah so you couldn't you had to have somebody who you believe was a was a silent star which she was but it also didn't stink you know right, like, right, right. like they didn't need the voice from singing in the rain yeah uh, quick side note do you want to just talk about the like uh, all my cryptic messages from last oh week absolutely like, no it completely so, makes sense so the characters don't lie at all a lot at all but lena this, this easily could have been yeah lena Lena's story. 20 years later you for know? sure i wrote that down because you know if you listeners tuned in last week we watched singing in the rain and oh, andy yeah, was speculating <laughs> yeah andy was speculating that uh his pick for this week which ended up being sunset boulevard could be a beyond the credit a dark turn on beyond the credits for singing in the rain yeah, and i didn't like really know what that meant yeah. until 
today. Yeah, yeah. It's Lena being like, I was a... But, and then it made me giggle because throughout this movie, I just imagined uh, Norma Desmond having that voice. <laughs> Darling! <laughs> like, you know. <laughs> Am I dumb or something? <laughs> I am big. It's the pictures that got small. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, All I right, will. Mr. DeMille, I'm ready for my close up. <laughs> uh, DeMille. For heaven's sake, what's the big idea? Can a girl get a word in edgewise? After all, they're my public too. I, I could totally see how it could be hard to get r- real actresses who were successful in silent films to take the, take on this role. Because like, it does kind of jeopardize. Like People know the movies are fake, but they will... F- to a certain extent, take your role as like a part of your person, like your real life personality. Yeah, yeah. So I could see that. But I also, and this is just a theory, I think that actors who are also stage actors, like ones who, ones who are, do both the stage and the pictures yeah. are, they're more likely to like joke about themselves or like they don't take themselves as seriously, yeah, I yeah. think, than like just screen actors. All right. I think... Screen actors are a little more sensitive about how Ooh, they are portrayed. Fired. No, I, I really do think so. All right, screen actors are soft. <laughs> if there's ever a fight between screen actors and stage actors, <laughs> we know who'd come out on top according uh, to Mark. Yeah. Nah, I, I'll, I'll take your word on it. I don't know if I have any personal evidence that I know, <laughs> but like I, I, I can't argue for or against. I just think <laughs> that stage actors do... Ooh. <laughs> I might be slipping into. Yeah, I, you're about to get. You're I, about to get fought by I some think screen they, actors. I think they do more work. Oh. <laughs> like I think when you when you're in the theater, like you're not only acting, but like sometimes you're moving sets, you're helping with the lights, like you're part of the the like it's a whole thing. Yeah. When you're on a set, like yeah, maybe you'll like help the DP do something. I don't know. Nah, like, I, I just don't think, yeah, <laughs> well, that's about? true. Like if you ask, maybe you'll help with like props yeah. or something, but like you're not in it, you know? Yeah. So anyway, sorry. Think, Paul Sidebar. Rudd is, is rapping XLRs, <laughs> <laughs> you know? Um, but that's a hilarious side note. Cause that's, it's all because I said she was a theater actor. <laughs> well, <laughs> all th- all that to say is like I could see why she like wasn't as hesitant as maybe the other actresses yeah. were. She also just seems very mature. Like she, mm-hmm. uh, what's her name, Nancy Olsen, who plays Betty. Like you know, she was super young. Yeah. And in an interview years later on the DVD, she was saying um, Gl- uh, Gloria Swanson was the only one out of all the actors who truly understood the movie the story and like what the impact it could have if they do it right mm-hmm. you know it's a little fast forward like when it came out Gloria Swanson got so much letters from actors who like found this to be even though it's a very dark movie to be the most inspirational thing they've ever seen because of the story of her because like she was a silent star uh-huh. who was completely discarded and then came out with this movie and like yeah clearly blew everyone's tits off like that's cool made millions. Well, it was financial success like uh, critical success like like it's like you couldn't find anything bad about this movie uh-huh. and so like all these actors who like either were over the hill or were afraid maybe one day they will be over the hill like you know it was a very unstable life to be an actor that's so cool. like i just think Gloria Swanson, it was just incredibly like mature and was just like yeah i'm playing a crazy person but that doesn't mean i'm crazy like you know what i mean like this is like like i'm not like they want me like you know what i mean like right. of course i'm gonna come and knock this out of the park like yeah you know i'm not a moron yeah it's a beacon of hope yeah for william holden clearly not not nearly to the extent that it was as relatable to Gloria Swanson, but 
he was also kind of like an actor who had a big hit called, I think it was called Golden Boy. I never saw it, but I was just doing research. <laughs> that came okay. out 10 years before this. Uh-huh. And like he was a star, a huge hit. And then he worked consistently since then, but never starred in a movie, really. He was always like second or third. Okay. And he was kind of forgotten. So like he also picked him partly because he could tap into that idea of a writer who had a few hits and then literally couldn't get any ball rolling. So mm. like, again, just put him right there in that spot. And then fucking uh, Max, Eric von Stroheim, that motherfucker was his exact story. He was a famous film, silent film director who was oh. crushing it. He made two giant flops that were like crazy and like his entire directing career ended and then he moved into acting. And so like, he, like if anyone's going to understand the role of Max, like, obviously we're going to talk more about this as we get into it, is this guy. And what's even wilder, so check this. This I didn't know until this time. So... You know, he was super successful as a silent filmmaker, but then his last two movies were bombs, like I said, and his last one was called Queen Kelly, and it was starring Gloria Swanson. No way. And that's the movie they watch in the screening room when she's... So she's literally watching the movie that, like... I'm not going to say ended the silent era, but, like, for her it did, and for him. Are you kidding? So they had a relationship prior to this. Yeah, they had a relationship prior to this. So, again, just another... Like, someone who could just fully understand the role. And... Uh, and I want to emphasize this too that like I don't I truly think and based on hearing his interviews I think he's right but like that's not you could argue in some cases that that's almost like stunt casting where it's like oh you're picking it because it's like that'll make headlines and stuff mm-hmm. this wasn't the era where shit like that even got out to the public mm-hmm. really like you have to kind of be in the know mm-hmm. so like they were picked because he believed that they could tap into the characters a way that people who didn't experience what they did couldn't. Right, you know what I mean? Right, right, right. It wasn't just picked because, like, I'm just trying to think, like, today, where, like, that would be a little less impressive, where, where like, it's almost like a joke, where if something happens to someone in, in, in the public events and you put them in a movie and oh. something similar happens, right. and you're like, ah, oh, that's, that's cute. Like, I don't think he did this to be cute. Like, yeah. I think he did this because he was like, yo, these motherfuckers went through some shit, and these characters are going through something similar. I think they can tap into this psyche right. that other people can't. So I just that's why I'm saying I think it's one of the most brilliant cast movies of all time. Right. And then you know, even if you don't know that, they all just do an amazing job. Like when you watch the movie, you could just right. you could just watch it and be like, oh, that's fun. yeah, you know, three great performances. And most of the movie relies on those three. Like Nancy Olsen plays a big role too, but like I think those three are like the yeah, they're the kind ones of the you mains. see the most exactly. Know? Yeah. That's that's so interesting. What's your stance on sort of like that that stunt casting? Because I think both can be true. Like sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. But like some people are really passionate about like acting is acting. So you shouldn't like actively seek someone just because they have similar experiences. And I'm like, yeah, <laughs> uh, it's, it's like it's crazy. I don't really know because it can go so many ways. Because like, are you drawing the line of like, when people say, like, only people in a wheelchair should play somebody in a wheelchair. Because right. I think that's different than trying to find someone who had similar... Ex- you know, so if you have a character whose dad is dead, I don't think you should only look for people who's had their father died. <laughs> right. But, Casting call. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, it might help. Like, you know, if someone came in and they can tap into that. So, right. like, you can't negate it. So, it's a boring answer, but the answer is, I don't know. And I think it's yes or no. Like, yeah. I think in this case, 
there's a there's an utter sadness to Max, and I think Eric von Stroheim understood it mm. more than if they just got some guy who was like, doo, 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 you know. Right. <laughs> um, but then I'm not saying I think nobody could do it. Acting's acting. Like I, I don't, you know. I, don't, I would agree. I I think. I think that both can be true, but I also think, like, this had actual intent. Like, yeah. y- yes, you could do st- what stunt casting in quotes, but, like, what's the intention behind it? Is it just for the story, or is it, like you said, in this case, like, yeah. just because he thought that they could tap into that, which they did successfully? Yes, and I also wouldn't really even use phrases like stunt casting when talking about a movie from 1950. Like, mm-hmm. I think this was... Trend setting is not even the right word because I don't even think it set trends yet because it was so ahead of mm. its time that like nowadays I would say yeah maybe they're just doing that because they've seen other people do it and it's like but when you're inventing the style you can't even call it stunt casting right. like, I just I think it's all just a more of a testament to how ahead of his time Billy Wilder was because he was doing shit in movies that like nobody else was doing it was stuff that like directors in the seventies would experience experiment with. But I would argue that they were growing up watching Billy Wilder movies, mm. so that's what inspired them to to break narratives and tell movies out of order, or you know, have a dead man be your narrator. You know, shit like that was unheard right. of. Like, you know, it was, it was you know, and then again, it, like a lot of those things could be considered gimmicks now. But when it's never been done, I don't really think it's a gimmick. I think mm. it's it's innovating, it's innovating it. the style, it's right, pushing right, right. filmmaking forward and storytelling, and like understanding that we have a camera. And microphones for a reason. We're not just doing plays. We're not just, you know, so many people just love to set up a camera back in the day and film a play and call it a movie. Mm. And he's like, no, this is different. Like, this isn't a book. This isn't a play. This is, we could do crazy shit with this camera. We could put it in the water. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah. you can't show underwater on a, in a, on, on a Broadway stage. You can't show underwater. You know what I mean? So right. it's, yeah, I can't, I can't call Anything that Billy Wilder does that you look at and be like, eh, it's a little cliche. It's like, no, nah, it wasn't. Like, <laughs> it's cliche that people copied him. Right. You know, so. Damn. Yeah. I mean, if you didn't already tell, this is going to be me gushing about this movie <laughs> this entire time. Like, I'm not, I don't think I have a bad word to say. Do, do you love this movie? Hey, oh. Uh, uh, <laughs> he didn't have, he didn't do that other movie that you showed me with the, the, the priest, right? No. Okay. Um, that guy, remember, if you remember, that was his only real movie. Oh, um, right, right, right. It was right. kind of like. Yeah, that was like that kind of like began into his career. I see. Yeah, I can't remember his name right wow. now because I once I once I stuffed myself full of one facts, <laughs> a bunch fun. of other ones fall to about. <laughs> it's so interesting that you know, like I picked Singing in the Rain, you picked this movie. I mean, do you have any idea of how many like films were actually like that covered this topic mm. of transition from silent to talkies? No. Or maybe like these are like the two like these are the two like big ones that I could think of without having to do any research. Mm. There might be other ones. Um, and, you know, I'll be the first to admit, I'm not the best historian when it comes to these older yeah. movies. I, I always ask you the historic I, questions. I know. Like, I, I wish I was. Like, there are some people who take this era, like, they love it and they learn. Yeah. Like, I know the big shit. And then I know some, like, obscure ones. I do think Night of the Hunter is a little bit more on the obscure end. But I'm not the best person to ask. Like, yeah. there are people who can rattle off the names of stars. Like, even in this one, when when we go through, like, the silent stars, there are times. I know these are, like, riddled with references that people who love Hollywood are like eating mm. themselves up. It's like watching a Marvel movie and they show, you know, Fart Night or whatever in the <laughs> corner and you're like, that's him. That's my guy from the books. This movie's that for Hollywood people where they're like, Jesus Christ, they got right. H.C. H- Field is in this, you know? Well, and you're just yeah. Like, and yeah. you're just like, holy shit. And like, I wish I had that love for it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I do, but like not that devotion love where I learn every single aspect of it. Okay. 
Good to know. Yeah. But yeah, speaking of like uh, I made that nuggets, guy up. there's no HC field. Right, but <laughs> I mean, do you, I don't know if we want to get into this now, but there is um, an executive from Paramount Pictures who played himself, like in this movie. Well, plenty of people play themselves. That's C- pretty. Cecil B. DeMille's a real director. Yeah, yeah I yeah. did not know that. Uh, okay, that was yeah. pretty cool. To I want to save some of it when we get into the plot because I, I do feel like we already gave away so much of this All movie. All right, no problem. But I mean, come on, it's so good. <laughs> Can't wait to spoil this. It's crazy. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see if it's good. We'll <laughs> talk about it. All right, let's jump into the she's. And uh, let's go into this Paramount picture directed by the great Billy Wilder, starring William Holden and Gloria Swanson in a glorious return to the big screen. Cool. Uh, <laughs> no, not the, no, no return on the talk. I mean, are we going to skip history? No. Oh. <laughs> People, I was too excited. I ran off. By the seat of my pants. <laughs> the fact that the movie ended and you still didn't know what the title was <laughs> is going to make me think you have never heard of this. But Masha, what is your Listen, history with Sunset Boulevard? Look, the title was so subtle that I was like, oh, okay, we're in California. Like, I didn't think that. You thought that... it was the place setting? <laughs> yeah, thought <laughs> I thought it was the setting. Like, the title of my notes is Andy's Picture. <laughs> like, I just didn't know what the movie was. And I thought, like, it was going to be, like, one of those movies where at the end... They're like, the title of the movie, yeah. you know? And, uh, that didn't happen. It was a Crazy Norma on the big <laughs> screen right at the end. <laughs> like, oh, it's called Crazy Norma. <laughs> what if that was the name? That'd be hilarious. <laughs> um, but yeah, I didn't know anything about this talking picture um, before watching. I guess uh, you could only assume that it had something to do with something in the singing in the rain. Yeah, I was like, maybe a song? Like, did, I when know. I said it was connected to the singing in the rain, did you even think it, I was talking about the transition of sound to talkies, or did you just think? It, oh, I I thought it would definitely touch on that, but like when you were saying like it could be like a continuation of it, I didn't know whose story. Like, is it the future of uh freaking? Why am I blanking on his name? Gene Kelly. G- yeah, Gene Kelly's Base character. character like, who? who which character Miss, are we? Mister Gotta Dance. Exactly. So, um, Gotta Dance. <laughs> Um, but how about you, Andy? Where where did you first come across this picture? I saw this picture. This was a it's a pretty boring story. I saw it in film school. Ah. <laughs> I, don't, I don't even remember the class or, or or why we watched it, but I just remember seeing it in school mm. and being like, oh yeah, I've always heard about this. I probably should check it out. And then just being blown away that it it was like like I just set up top where way more modern, like kind of just fast paced and quick and kind of had like audience attention in mind instead of it doesn't meander at any point which you know sometimes in film school you can get some meanders Mm -hmm. out there when when you're watching battleship potemkin for the third fucking time (laughs) and uh this one was just like it was so tight and fast and funny and Mm -hmm. like it was everything like it was all all the genres in one and i was just like this is crazy and uh yeah and then it made me immediately seek out the other big billy wilder movies i saw double indemnity in a film class too and that one's awesome but it's just uh it's it's a little more straightforward it's like it's it's an awar movie i love this one because it's everything mm-hmm. um and then i've heard about the apartments i checked those out but then i truly haven't watched this since so like like oh wa- wow watching it actually with you for this there was like tons of stuff where i didn't remember like i remembered ton- the big stuff i remember i remember that i loved it but i couldn't truly remember why i loved it what a risk and it is a risk and it's also it's funny because sometimes you can be like not convinced to love something but when everyone tells you oh, it's a great movie it's a great movie it's yeah. a great movie you're just in your brain you're like that's a great movie but like, like citizen you, kane but fuck, we're doing <laughs> citizen kane i'm telling you it's better than this 
<laughs> and I love this. Citizen Kane is so fucking good. Don't bring this I knew that. I knew that was gonna push buttons. Because <laughs> that's the one outlier. Like, pick anything else. Like, pick. <laughs> Yo, every every film nerd, if you bring up Citizen Kane and even hint that it's a bad movie, <laughs> you'll see a fire in their eyes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm mad that I fell for it. I thought you were being serious. <laughs> no. But because uh, I don't want to shit on other famous movies, but like sometimes when I'll if I watch like the Maltese Falcon or, or even Casablanca, they're good. They're really good. But like there's something about them that like doesn't mm. connect with me the way certain other ones do. Uh, you've never been in Morocco, and and, and it's just funny because I always say Citizen Kane's not that. That's the one that I can <laughs> I can watch. You know, it's, it's just fast paced. It's good for It's right. great. Um, it's whatever. <laughs> I can just so picture mad. people. I can just picture people being like, "Watch so whatever." Fuck you guys. <laughs> These are my opinions. Make your own podcast. Who am I fighting with? <laughs> I'm pre-fighting with comments on the internet that don't exist. And we don't have anywhere to put comments. Right? What's your angle? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, whose whose face are we shoving this? You don't shove in? a musical in someone's face. What are you talking about? Right, but who versus? Who are we doing it versus? Oh my god! Are you guys gonna make this about this? This might be the best instigating I've ever oh, done. Man. <laughs> Alright, all right, folks, that's our show. Fucking <laughs> like and subscribe and wrap this up. Yeah, so I loved it. Didn't watch it again until now. Bought the Blu-ray. Watched it a second time with you. So and I was just like I said, super uh, surprised by a lot of things in the movie because I didn't remember. Like I didn't remember there was a monkey funeral. Like you know what I mean? Like right off the bat, I was like, how the fuck forgets the monkey funeral? <laughs> you know? So it's. Uh, I mean, so much happens after that that I don't It's true. You. It's pretty early on where I was just, but like, you know, if someone asked me, like, if someone was like, hey, you ever see that bullfight? I'd be like, oh, yeah, all time classic. They'll be like, monkey funeral? I'd be like, I might not have seen it. <laughs> you know, but no, I did remember tons about it. I just couldn't remember the monkey funeral. Interesting. Um, so, yeah, let's get into this guy because, you know, I haven't talked about it in over 10 years. So, let's, let's do, do it. it. Yo, the beginning of this movie, I didn't know what genre this was. Can I, I just say that? Let me ask you this. Movie's over. What genre was it? <sighs> there are so many. I know. <laughs> I think I think it's a, mostly, there's a lot of film noir in this, but it's not fully in that genre because it's, even though there's a, it starts with, like, you know there's a murder in it. It's not a crime-based movie. There's no detectives. There's no police. There's no femme fatale. Mm -hmm. It doesn't have so many of the things that make it. It just kind of feels like noir. But then, uh, you know, you could almost argue it's like a dark comedy because it's very funny throughout. Like, I think, like, the dialogue. Like, I think, like, right. like, not the subject matter, but, like, the movie has jokes throughout the entire thing. But then it's also just, like, a, just a character piece drama like you know uh -huh. it's, just, it's just like a little everything. i'll just say i was on edge the entire yeah, and night it's almost a horror movie that's what i'm saying because i was like when is the ball gonna drop when is when are all of these people like ghosts like i just yeah, didn't yeah, know yeah. like what oh, was hilarious. gonna happen so i mean yeah let's talk about this opening because it's, pr it's a pretty famous opening yeah uh, we'll talk about the filming of it after but just from like a story perspective you know right. this movie opens up you see a bunch of cops driving down sunset boulevard the name of the street <laughs> They, and the movie apparently yeah and then we get we get a narrator kind of you know to right off the bat feel like a film noir of someone kind of just being like you don't know what stories of sunset boulevard <laughs> you know, that. that's my old, old time voice <laughs> you're gonna hear it all day yeah see we gotta go down the boulevard and he's telling he's telling us that you know we're going up to 
I think he says like to to a star's home to see a Hollywood tale. You know, it starts right. with a dead man, and we see a, a body floating in the pool. Yeah, he basically wants to tell us the true story and not what we'll, we'll, we'll read in the tabloids. Yeah, yeah, you kind of like we're getting a little inside scoop. Right. But yeah, so we see we see this body floating in, so we know right off the bat that like someone's gonna die in this story. So yeah. it's it's setting a tone right off the bat where you're like, all right, this isn't a love story. <laughs> like this is a story where someone's gonna end up dead in a pool. You're gonna laugh because. What? I completely forgot about that. Like when that scene happened, and then the story started, and I was yeah. like, I completely forgot about that. I think that was the intention. <laughs> I, I think I think it, the movie worked the way it was supposed to. Uh, but yeah, like it just—it's a great shot. Yeah, it's a it's a great shot. Like that—that's something we never. I don't know. I've never seen, but there weren't contraptions to film underwater right. yet. Well, that's why I asked if he was the same guy who did that other movie we watched with the priest. Night of the Hunter. Yeah, because there's a cool underwater shot there yeah, too. Yeah. I think that was like, that was closer. I think that was like 59-ish. I think it was closer to 1960. Oh, like okay. Th- about 10 years after this. But um, yeah, they uh, they had to con- they constructed, they just did it with mirrors, but like it, it, it took a lot of experimenting. Apparently the water had to be like 40 degrees exactly to get the right Whoa. reflection. Like, it took it took a shitload of time to figure out how to film that. That's crazy. But it's like it was a shocking image, and especially because like, not that there wasn't violence. There's plenty of movies where gangsters were killing people around this era, but like you didn't always focus on a dead body. It was, death was kind of something that just kind of happened where people would fall over, and maybe you'd see it from far away. But uh-huh. like, it was a pretty shocking image for 1950 to just be frozen yeah. on this like floating corpse. It's really scary, and you can see this lifeless body behind it. You know what I mean? Yeah. And then, you know, right right off the bat to like. He's setting a tone with this jokey narration of they're pulling him out of the pool. They're pulling the body out of the pool, and they were like, they pulled him out gently. Oh, it's funny how gentle people are with you once you're dead. Yeah. Like, dude, it's to apply, like, you know, life is a motherfucker, and you'll get your ass kicked with the second you die. All of a sudden, everyone's nice. Mm. You know, it's just little shit like that, where I think it's a very, the script is so tight and, like, witty. You know, it's like, yeah. there's always, and that's kind of the most noirish thing about it, because that's always, those, film noir dialogue is never realistic right everyone's got the smartest thing to say every time they talk you know it's like right like why don't you go tell your mother your mother was on here i don't know you know like <laughs> it's never just like what'd you say yeah i i also think they kind of set the bar a little higher for themselves in this movie specifically because he's a writer like the narrator is a writer himself so yeah. like you kind of have to like i would expect him to speak like a writer like a yes, writer that's uh, and be as buttoned up no i agree i think and i think it is I think they do a good job of, like, he does kind of speak like that, too, but not all the characters do. Mm-hmm. Like, sometimes Betty's just like, Joe, what are you talking about? And he's just like, I'm on the wrong side of the tricks, you know? like yeah. Or something like that. And would be like, ah, there's so many pickles in my jar, you know what I mean? You know? And he'd be like, dude, nobody says shit like that. <laughs> Not enough feathers on my goose. Yeah, but when we meet this guy, though, I, I automatically knew he'd be stressing me out because he's late on his payments. Oh, yeah, you hate... I you hate, hate that. You hate people in debt. <laughs> yeah, you hate people in debt and and teenagers throwing parties without their parents knowing about <laughs> it if we're ever watching a sitcom or a movie and that's the plot you start oh, getting stressed here out here we go like, i hate it so like, much oh, they better not get in trouble <laughs> <laughs> we're watching bel-air and like colton's like snorting lines and has yeah. like all these drug problems and you're just like i hope their mom doesn't get mad at them <laughs> like i think he might die next priorities <laughs> but yeah Yeah, this guy owing car payments and just like i don't know just telling talking these people are coming here into your home asking for your car he's parking it across the street you see the one black person in this movie and you know (laughs) you didn't want to see what they were up to Uh, 
Well, uh, anyway. <laughs> but uh, I sorry. I just need to. I wrote this down. Write it down. So he. This has nothing to do with anything. I'm so sorry. Like not nothing to do with the plot, but like for his car, he paid three hundred dollars for a car. He's making thirty five dollars. Oh, he owes three hundred for a car, and he's making thirty five a week at his old job. Yeah, that's a lot of money. Yeah, jeez. He's that's he's. I mean, he kind of has to be in a desperate situation <laughs> for the plot yeah. of this movie to unfold. Well, you know what? Like, I actually appreciated getting those numbers because I feel like you never know what people are making in a movie. Yeah, yeah. So random call out but i did it <laughs> no it's nice it really puts it, it puts it in perspective exactly. you're like this motherfucker like he needs that money tomorrow yeah. and it puts it enough where you know it's it's not a small amount where like that's easy to borrow like, right that's right a right shitload of money. yeah like so random but i did appreciate yeah, that it's fantastic <laughs> but yeah we got a little uh we got we got a taste of his life as like a screenwriter he's down on his luck he's trying to sell scripts but the studio just thinks they're all trash yeah um and like you know my argument that this is kind of a comedy like even when he's with the studio head that was like a very funny scene where (laughs) you know he's just like and he's like i don't like your movie and he's like ah you would have turned down gone with the wind and he's like i did turn it down he (laughs) said who wants to see a civil war picture like you know (laughs) he's just like a lot of shit like that um and he that's when we first meet uh betty davis yeah she's a reader for the for the company and uh, she comes in and trashes his script right through. She doesn't know he's behind them. Right. It's just like, the shit is derivative. It's just like those. I, I, I like that a lot. Yeah. I'm going to keep sprinkling my favorite lines, too. But I like what she was just like, ooh, I read some of your old stuff. You had some, he's like, you had some talent. And he's like, last year I had talent. This year I want to work. And he's like, <laughs> you know, like, you just, as if to imply, like, you know, he, he could be a good writer, but he's just churning out crap for the studios, mm. even though it's not selling. So he's in a dilemma where it's like, they want something they don't want any they want stuff that can sell but if it's not original they're gonna say it's too derivative but also if it's original they'll be like we can't sell this so, which is an age-old problem we're yeah still i was just today, gonna say you know <laughs> hence why there's a hawkeye the tv show and not like a new something something jesus i know but, I, but we still have like you know i mean i don't watch them anymore but like pixar's doing it like whatever turning red is that's new like that's not like it's not based on a toy that someone sold in 1971. That's true. You know, so it's still kind of out there. You just gotta look for it. Yeah, or you know, create another streaming service that will take the risk. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Or even something like Cuphead. Like technically, it's an adaptation, but the game was completely original. Like it's not right. like they weren't just like let's do a Mickey Mouse show again. You know? Yeah. Sorry, I I always end up. It's like a, it becomes like a Disney bash <laughs> at some point. <laughs> like, this has nothing to do with what we're talking about. I mean, it kind of does. <laughs> anyway, so he's at the studio. Yeah, he's meeting this girl, blah, blah, blah. Another great line when he's he's making phone calls and the narration's going. And he's trying to sell the script. You know, he's getting desperate. And he's like, I got 10 nickels. And I started making phone calls. I, call, I, 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 called, I called MGM and got a few of their yes men. To me, they said no. <laughs> oh. <laughs> like, oh, I missed that <laughs> what? one. Oh, that was a great line. MGM yes men. Me, they said no. I was re- I was hearing on the DVD where they were saying like I, they thought Billy Wilder was such a good writer because English wasn't his first language. Obviously, he wasn't born here, but oh, like dang, he was so obsessed with like the idioms of English and just like the way that our lack of rules made it possible to like really play with the language. Mm. Where you know, like we have such like a lack of structure and we use so many like phrases and slang and so shit like yes man. Like that's not a word. Like that's something we made up. Yeah. So like he was like, Oh, that's funny. I'm a pop play with that because you know, like can a yes man always say yes? Like like he really thought about English in a way that you kinda have to be an outsider to think about it. 
where you just take it for granted when it's your first language. Wow, that's really cool. Yeah, yeah. So that was like that was like again just a film, you know, historian or critic just kind of theorizing fifty years later about why Billy Wilder was such a good writer. Ah, I and like, like it. How he nailed just our how we talk uh well what i liked about uh this film and when films do this too is just showing the world outside of the story um and we get a little glimpse of that like when he's going around making these calls and like seeing people yeah one of the places he goes to is a pharmacy which i guess back in the day was also a coffee shop and also a diner and also it was like a soda like a whatever they called them like a malt shop or whatever so crazy so that place (laughs) That was a set, but that place is real. Um, oh. They they recreated it just to, because filming in a, a set is easier than <laughs> closing a diner. Uh-huh. But that was a very, like, they used the real name and everything. I think it was Schwab, Schwab's Pharmacy. Oh, wow. And, like, it was it was just a hangout. So, like, it was for, like, the working class in the film industry. So, you weren't going to see, like, big wigs there, but, like, crew members, writers who hadn't made it yet. Like, just it was just where, like, you just hung out there during the day. I like that. Yeah, it's just, like, crazy, too, because, like, you know, I always just think about it. Like, you, you, there was nothing in your house, especially if you had no money. So, like, going home was never of interest. So, like, you needed a place to, like, hang. Mm-hmm. Where, like, I was just imagining now, and I was like, if I lived in L.A. and I was a poor screenwriter, like, right now, I would probably be spending most of my time in my house to, or apartment to save money. Like, I wouldn't be down at a coffee shop the way these guys are. I see. But, like, if you are... But, we, but I could also, like, try to get jobs through the internet. Like, there are different things to do stuff but like if they didn't do that they were dead in the water so it was just interesting Mm -hmm. it's just a random like 50s to now thought where i was like yeah like that it was more economical for them to just be there and they Mm -hmm. eat you know it's like we were so social yeah exactly and also but even like if you're not trying to do work stuff he didn't have a TV, like let alone a fucking video game or like <laughs> like uh, you know things yeah, that we have to have... entertain you yeah, to exactly. go out. Yeah, exactly. Um, but then this turned into a Fast and Furious movie. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when uh, he's getting chased by the debt col- debt collectors, yeah, yeah. and that's when he pulls into this driveway, and I guess you could say the story begin begins. Yeah. So uh, like I, I always ask this, but like as someone who had no idea what we were watching, where was your like brain like? Did, Oh, I thought he was pulling it up to a haunted house. Oh, so you already had like a creepy vibe like immediately? Yeah, because it was deserted. Yeah, that's true. And he pulled out into the into this garage. There's an old timey car, you know, from the, what, two decades earlier. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but like, you know, it's like deserted. So I was like, oh, and then this random butler shows up and I was like, oh, that guy's a ghost. Well, before that, <laughs> we see this fucking creepy Norma in the window with her sunglasses looking out. Oh, yeah. And she's like... Why are you late, boy? And you're just like, oh my god, I would have ran. Yeah. I was just like, if, if I just showed up at some random house and I saw some creepy witch-like figure, you know, why are you late, mm-hmm. boy? I'd be like, get the fuck out of here. This also could have just been a, a weird, like, movie-length Twilight ep- episode. Twilight Zone, yeah. Yeah, Twilight sure, Zone episode sure. where he's like, I need something to write about. And then, like, he gets it. Yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> yeah that's totally true. Uh, but yeah, we meet Max the butler. Yeah, but let's just like talk about the set design, like of this mansion, the way it's just the the rundownness of it. Like you're yeah. right, it does just immediately. You're like, what? What in another scenario would be like grand and epic and the most beautiful thing is now just like scary as fuck. For and sure, sad as fuck. Like, yeah, like it's just like it's just the fact that like it's so dead, but someone actually still lives there. Yeah, that is very sad. It's like. I don't know. It's it's depressing. Yeah. 
And like, yo, did you think Max was like a zombie or something? Like, yeah. like he's so like he just didn't still. respond. He's just such a statue, and he was always just like, go upstairs. Like I got it. You know, I was like, yeah, wipe your feet. You know, just very like, yo, he's a butler. Like when you think <laughs> of a butler, like that motherfucker's a butler. Yeah. And no, also too, like butlers can't have personalities. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> Um, but you know, like they when they lead him upstairs because they think he's um, the guy with the casket for yeah. this dead person or whatever. Oh yeah, we don't know what it is. Yet. We don't know what it is, but like, I was like, oh, like either like they murdered someone. Like I, I just didn't know. Yeah, I thought yeah. this was a horror movie that you were showing sure. me, and I was so upset. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. I wasn't upset. But <laughs> you know, um, yeah, and he comes up, and then they think he's like the court, not coroner, but I don't even know what yeah, the word is. Yeah, I think is. it's a coroner. Isn't know, it? No, I think it's just the guy who buries it. I don't think you bring the monkey to the corners. It's for a monkey. We set it up top. It's a <laughs> monkey funeral. Um, but I don't think you send a monkey to a coroner. I think you just bury it. You're not embalming. Corners embalm bodies and shit. Oh. I think you just bury the monkey. I mean, I know it was in the I casket. I don't think people are having monkeys. Yes. I don't. I think it went straight in the coffin and then in the backyard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah Illegally. So I, don't, I don't think that's a coroner. But the don't the coroners provide the the caskets i mean the morgue does i thought the corner was like the isn't guy. the corner the guy running the morgue oh i don't know ah we gotta google this. i thought the morgue was like the thing under the i, I don't i truly don't know <laughs> nor do i think it matters a corner definition an official who investigates oh they're the investigators that like they're the ones trying to figure out how someone died oh uh, so it's definitely not a yeah, corner. Definitely yeah definitely we're both wrong <laughs> what the hell is my guy an embalmer <laughs> i don't think it's that's a weird word i don't know well, yeah. well hey, you guys can tell us yeah it's <laughs> a, a, a case for another day yeah or once we stop recording i'll forget i even asked <laughs> and it'll never come up again and then people will we'll bring it up and i'll be like i don't remember saying we'll, that on the we'll podcast seamlessly edit it in with a completely different tone of voice yeah and you won't be able to tell it all no. <laughs> so joe you know he, he pretty quickly tells her he's not who he, she thinks he is because he's like i don't want no part of this dead monkey yeah um and immediately he's about <laughs> to leave and then he comes up with the idea or at least he thinks he does that he's gonna maybe swindle some money out of norma because he finds out that she's working on a screenplay right and he well and he figures out who she was yeah he figures out who she was how much money she had yeah and that she's writing a script so he kind of plays coy and acts like oh you know like it's good but i can help you out with this and that and and secures a job writing for her you know which he thinks will be one night of writing yeah of like rewrites on the script and he's all proud of himself but it's a little creepy yeah i will say when we first meet norma like as a character i i laughed because the talking is crazy like you know like the way she just this actress gloria like does the character like oh the pictures the silent pictures well like i I just love how she talks it's good too because like (laughs) She's playing it as if someone who wouldn't be able to be an actor with their voice because she's so nuts. Like she doesn't like she doesn't talk normal. I don't know. It's it's just it's funny for someone who hates talking and dialogue mm. that like she talks. She talks weird. so much. Yeah, and like talks weird too. Yeah, like, she's very not realistic with how she speaks. And she definitely made a definitive choice to have to do her hands a certain way. Oh my god! Like her, cl- they're like claws. There's one shot specifically. I think it was when he's reading the script and she's sitting in the chair yeah. and her like I think it's her left hand is. I wish this is like a podcast. I wish I could show you, but like. It's claw-like. She's got the cigarette in the one hand and the other hand is just, I'm doing it right now. Yeah. (laughs) I just, I wonder if that's symbolic of, like, her, like, 
putting her claws in this guy. I, I think it is. Mm. I think it is. I think she puts her claws in whatever she can put. Yeah, there, those are claws. That's crazy. Um, um and then, you know, another, and then like I love how they just weave in the creepiness too of like what he decides to stay. She says because he he has the car problems. The other reason he decides to stay too is because he wants to keep his car off the road so it doesn't get right. impounded while he makes enough money to to pay it off and I, then they give him a room above the garage but as soon as he walks in there the bed's already made mm-hmm. and max is like oh i made the bed for you this afternoon and he was like how'd you know i was staying this afternoon right like it already had a creepy horror thing movie where max was just like i know how normal i know how this situation works yeah you're not leaving like you know what i mean hey. but i like it too because like not to get into the end but like it's not this isn't like a movie about like this evil person with an evil plan like it's i think it's more nuanced than that mm-hmm. i think it's more about a mentally ill person than like a villain you mm-hmm. know what i mean because this easily could have went the horror movie route where she's like you'll never escape my castle you know but like it's not really that you know mm-hmm. like yeah it's fucking good man. yeah i didn't think i thought the rest of this movie was gonna take place in this house like yeah like, like it just seemed like he like would one be morning trapped there yeah, there's gonna be locks on the doors and bars on the windows yes and, yeah, 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 yeah. It could have went that route. It probably would have been an entertaining horror movie. <laughs> but it went a better route and became one of the greatest pictures <laughs> Paramount's ever produced. I also want to correct you. You said he parked his car in the garage. It's the gay raj. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. But the whole peculiar... I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> it's hard. To, I'm not a riffer, all right? <laughs> I'd do improv if I could do it, but I can't so well. Yo, I, you've got to have some great... You have more than 2020 vision if you could see rats in a pool oh, from yeah. a, a, gr- a window. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, the overgrown pool. Like, everything was just yeah. like... Like, we used to we used to be something. Yeah. We used to be a- And then another random, but I think that more movies should mention what people's zodiac signs are <laughs> um i want to take into account that the one character who thinks about the zodiac signs is the one who has mental illness no! so i don't know what argument you're making here but if you want to be a norma desmond sign sure are you saying that i'm <laughs> mentally ill no i'm saying in this movie there's a bunch of logical sane characters oh. and then one who's a little bit crazy and the one who's a little bit crazy asks oh. immediately what someone's sign is and then base their relationship on what month they were born oh, in. Oh my god. <laughs> I didn't you, say you anything. Think you, you inferred. Whatever. I don't know what kind of insecurities that are bringing this up, but I'm just saying, in this movie, mm. the one character who's into it is a little cuckoo. <sighs> Whatever. Little cuckoo. <laughs> You know, just not uh, not all there. <laughs> Imagine if it's all based on the zodiac sign. Like she's like to her butler, like, okay, if he's a Sag, if he's a Capricorn, and if he's a Cancer, then yeah, pack, p- yeah, make the bed. Exactly. Like <laughs> we're compatible. Uh, all right. All I'm saying is there might be a famous killer right. based things on zodiac signs. Mm-hmm. Maybe I don't know. Maybe a movie. <sighs> uh, well, that's such a Capricorn thing to say. Uh, looks like someone else has a trigger. That's not Tennessee <laughs> Kane. <laughs> Got your back. All you gotta do is talk shit about Zodiac signs. <laughs> you get real mad. <laughs> Can we just talk about the fact that you never remember what your Zodiac sign is? Uh, Everyone asks you, and I'm like, he's a Capricorn. <laughs> I, I, people ask me, and I look at you. That's, that's my answer. I go, let will tell you. <laughs> Or I just tell them my birthday and I just go figure it out. Yeah. I'm going to learn my, my, my Chinese year and that's my going to be my answer. I'm going to be like, you're the dog. What are you talking about? I think we're year of the monkey. 
Oh, wait. We're not the same. Nope. Um. Oh, you're the horse, baby. Whoa, you're a horse? Do it up. Uh, Let me find out yours. I'm a monkey. You're the monkey. <laughs> How many? What's like 2021? Ox. Pretty good. Well. This has nothing to do with what we're talking <laughs> about. And 2022 is Tiger. All right, I'm done. <laughs> That's pretty cool. Who's got the worst one? All right, never mind. I, I think the rabbit's pretty bad. Son. The rabbit's pretty cool. Yeah, you get the fast. You fuck a lot. <laughs> Rabbits have like a hundred babies. You want a hundred babies? No, I'm just saying. As someone who like <laughs> is anal <laughs> about their finances, um. Okay. So anyway, I you know we don't want to go plot by plot, but yeah. the things that stuck out to me, um, obviously the setting of the mansion, like. Yeah, it's not being kept well, but one thing that is kept well are the amount of pictures that she surrounded herself with of, of herself. Yeah. It's pretty crazy. I will say, and I don't know if you've noticed it, but there is like one picture repeat. Oh, is it really? Yeah. That's funny. I was I like, ooh, they printed it twice. <laughs> ah, got him. But uh, yeah, no, it's interesting because it's like she's making a shrine to herself because the world isn't doing that for her you know like no one remembers her so it's mm -hmm. like she's almost like subconsciously doing it well, and you know and she's receiving fan letters every day so the yeah. world is telling her that she's she's pretty great mm -hmm. and we're also you know I, we're just getting like littered little details about the house but we also learn every door has no lock or doorknob on it because norma desmond's tried to commit suicide enough times right so she is actually mentally yeah so yeah. max needs yeah. to be able to kick at any door open at a given's notice and save her in case she tries to kill herself and they've removed you know pills and razor blades and yeah whatever else she could find from the house it's really sad actually because she's so like obsessed with the time that she was loved and like was like at the peak of her career that she's just like even to see and evolve with the times, she's incapable of doing. Yeah, you know, um, like I, I think that's invocative in like her wardrobe, her her mm -hmm. style. Like she's she's still trying to have a grand nineteen twenties party. You know, even yeah. though that's not really what people are doing anymore. You know, like, right. I, I don't know if that's like, true, but like I think in her, that's just how she's trying to recreate shit that's that is gone yeah. you know like there's that you know the phrase that they say you can never go home again like it just means mm -hmm. like you can go where you grew up but it's not what you remember like it's not gonna be the same people it's not gonna be the same stuff like you know it's, some stuff could be the same but you're never gonna get that same feeling that you had so like she can try and recreate her glory age but like no matter what yeah it's not happening do you think that he's sort of like an enabler because like he doesn't even ch like he notices these things and he makes the same observations we do. You know my Joe? Yeah. Yeah, I think he's an opportunist. Mm. I think I think he knows exactly what he's doing the whole movie and it's the reason why the end happens. Okay. Like I don't think he's supposed to be a noble character that we're like proud of. Mm. Like, you know, because I've I've read some some uh, like studies of this movie where they've seen like it's like it's borderline like a an allegory for prostitution like he's hmm. basically being like a trophy husband oh I and see. like selling sex which we never see but it's pretty much implied it's happening you think so like, a little bit I'm like I don't think a lot but I I think 
they might have been intimate once or twice with I each other. I guess so. But yeah. like you know, and like he and he keeps getting bought off with all these gifts, and you know, like it's a very there's one scene where they're shopping and he tries to get the <sighs> less expensive thing, and then the 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 guy who works there goes yeah. like the lady's putting for it, so why not get both? You know, yeah. and like like he's and you know, especially think about it, it's 1950, like being a man was a very big part of society, right? And being demasculated, it had a very different meaning back then than. Even now, it's still not, you know, a lot of people don't want to feel that way. And we still make movies. That's what, you know, Always Be My Maybe was about that, where, you know, he's Mm -hmm. holding her purse. You know, it's it's still a concept we're still talking about today. But, like, in the 50s, to be a dude who an older, especially, you know, older dudes dated younger women. That's how it went. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, Nancy Olsen was fucking 19 in this movie, for fuck's sake. Like, William Holden was probably 36, if I had to guess. You know, like, yeah, if I had to guess. But, like... That's just how you casted movies. It's, it's it was the way of the world. It wasn't great, but it was right. you. If you were a man, you dated someone younger. So like, it must have been so demasculating to be a man dating someone twenty years older than you, and she's paying for everything, and she's dressing you. Yeah. You know, and so like, which I guess goes to show why he wasn't really telling everybody about exactly. So like, yeah, yeah. So I think he knew exactly what was happening, and I think he let it happen because all the good stuff, mm. like he. And, you know, I have a lot more to say once again to spoilers, but, like, he, he there's a lot of things he says at the end of the movie that's very telling. Okay. But, um... All I gotta say is, if you were in this guy's position, you wouldn't last a day because <laughs> they, you know, they talk about how they would sit down and watch... Uh, her silent pictures yeah it's just like two of them on a small couch in silence yeah watching this movie uh, i was like andy would be out like I a light in five minutes <laughs> yeah i just can't like the idea that like every moment of every day is gonna suck <laughs> like i would give up so much to not have that like you know <laughs> what i mean like it's not that we bring up you know just spoiler to everyone here watch the sopranos for the first time bring it up constantly but like watch the sopranos i'm just like yo tony's life sucks like he's never not dealing with something or furious about something yeah. or like someone's not fucking with them <laughs> or just like, like you just to never to be happy or left alone would drive me crazy so mm. like these kind of lives like sure he's getting his gold fucking cigarette cases and his tuxes but like he's just with her yeah. constantly and you know he starts off getting his room set in a in a building separate from the house but yeah. then it rains in and now he's living in that fucking house and he yeah. says in his narration like I, the only alone time i got was when i was in my room Mm-mm. and now i lost my room so like i would just i would lose my fucking mind in that house yeah. like with her fucking shows that she's putting on for him or silent <laughs> shows and shit Oh my god, the silent shows. Yeah. Those were so awkward. It comes out as Charlie Chaplin. That would happen that. like multiple times. I imagine. And that was her way of like keeping him interested. You know, like like she like cuz I think he says in the narration where it's like she would sense me slipping so she would put on these shows. Oh. I feel like that would get me out faster. I'd be like, I got to watch this all the time. Yikes. I'd be like, no TV yet. We still haven't invented that. Nothing. <laughs> I'd love it. I love Lucy. <laughs> I love <laughs> like it's not invented yet sir fuck all right all right, all right. <laughs> yeah do the dance one real quick thing that i just forgot to mention we we're talking about the people who made this movie like i said it won the oscar for costume and set designs the costumes of this were done by uh edith head who's like a very famous uh costume designer in hollywood like she did everything and the, one of the reasons modern people might know who she is she had a very distinct look and she's actually who they based the costume designer in the Incredibles movies on. It will be bold, dramatic, yeah. heroic. Yeah, something classic, like uh, D- Dinah Guy. Oh, he had a great look. Oh, the cape and the boots. No capes. 
Isn't that my decision? Do you remember Thunderhead? Tall, storm powers. Nice man. Good with the kids. Listen. November 15th, the 58th. <laughs> All was well, another day saved, when his cape snagged on a missile gun. Thunderhead was not the brightest ball. Stratogale, April 23rd, 57. Cape caught in a jet turbine. You can't generalize about this. Meta Man, Express Elevator, Diner Guy, Snag on Takeoff, Splashdown, Sucked into a Vortex. No kicks! That was gonna be my guess. Yeah, yeah. And, and she had a very, like, you know, she had a very unique personality and everyone remembered her. That's cool. They said something on the DVD where she did, like, something like 70, like, interviews in her career, which is crazy because costume designers never get asked to be interviewed. Like, right. you know, if they're going to do a behind the scenes, they go to the director, the, the cinematographer, blah, blah, Yeah. And so she was just, like, way out of her time and took everything crazy serious. So, like, when it came to dressing Norma, that's why every costume is so wow. elaborate, beautiful, different, like... And uh, but also like stuck in time, like there's a purpose to every outfit she wears. Mm. Like so, she. Took, I just wanted to give her a shout out because I think she did a great job and That's deserved sweet. the Oscar. Wow. And even like little things. So for for Nancy's character, like so for Betty, um, they were gonna dress her, but then she noticed e Edith had noticed that Nancy's. She liked what she was wearing every day, and she was like, oh, I kind of see you have, like, a very modest style and this and that. And she's uh, talking to her and learning that she was actually very similar to her character. Uh -huh. And so she was like, why don't we try your clothes? Like, why don't you bring in, like, five, six outfits and let me look at them? And then she ended up wearing all her own clothes, huh. including her dresses, because she was like, created such a big contrast to the overly designed. She didn't want a team of designers making her clothes because she'd look too fancy. Yeah, yeah. And so, like, I just think, like, she was thinking about shit that other people wouldn't, where mm -hmm. someone else might just get an assignment and be like, all right, I'll make six fancy dresses, six plain dresses. Like, yeah. like she got to know the actors, got to know the characters. Like, she's a fucking baller. No, it's totally character. Uh, it's study of the character when you're when you're in a role like yeah, that. Yeah, Edith Head is That's awesome. Baller. All right, back to the plot. That's just all I want to say. Um, Anything else that's stuck near you? Oh, so there's a portion in this movie where you find out that the the room that they end up putting Joe in in the house belonged to one of her ex-husbands. Oh, So, yeah. like, you realize that she's been married. Three times. Right. And yeah. I think this also pushed me towards the horror movie of it all because I'm like, oh, like... Is she killing all the husbands Yeah, exactly. Yeah, 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 it could be. <laughs> I mean, it's almost worse what she's doing to them. Yeah, <laughs> I know. But, um... Uh, yeah. I mean, we find out what happens to one of the husbands, which we'll talk about in the spoiler section, but like, what the hell happened to the second one? Yeah. <laughs> uh, who knows? Anyway. Um, uh, yeah. It's pretty hilarious. But yeah, it's, what I will say is just, it's so sad how much, how empty her life is. And, and then she puts, once Joe comes into her life, like, it's like she's come alive again. Yeah. And she even throws a, the saddest party of all time for New Year's. And this is when I was like, oh, she's crazy. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yo, what I would not give to be a freaking clarinetist in that band. <laughs> oh, my God, yeah. <laughs> to be hired for this, like, sad two-person party where one person has to be lied to and told Yo, that other people are coming. <laughs> that's insane. And they're playing all night. Yeah. Like, no one's on the dance floor. It's just two people and a butler. Yeah. It's fucking it's crazy. Cra that's the craziest party I've ever seen. If yeah. you can call it a party. Yeah. No, it's wild. Um, and I wonder, because that happens like pretty, a little a little into him living there. And like, do you remember though, if it's when, like it doesn't really get romantic until after this. 
Right. It's right. always just her kind of like leaning that way, like grabbing his arm a little bit. And this then, is like, when this the is, like, signals her, are clear. Her, yeah, her first like kind of grand gesture and like where it's like 100%. She drops the facade of it ever being about like writing her movie. Yeah. Because she, she is working on the movie, but she, I don't think she believes that it needs work. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So she does want to make the movie. That's not the facade. The facade is needing his help. Right. And I think she just wanted like a young man to make her feel alive a again. A companion. Yeah. They call it. Um, And then it's just in the way the movie's like written where she's so manipulative with the things she pays for to keep him interested. So like right off the bat, like what it's rewinding a little bit, but like when he's still, before he even decides to stay, she already finds out where he lives, oh, talked yeah. to the people, paid off, found out he was in debt for three months of rent and then paid it off. And so it's gestures like that that made him feel like, oh, maybe I do have like a friend or someone who cares about yeah. me here. But then like he also mentions he never actually gets paid any real money. Mm-hmm. Like he's like his fee is 300 a week and and, you know, it's presumably he's keeping track in his mind. But like she never actually pays him. She just buys him things. Right. And it's like that's like a way to like keep him, you know, back to that prostitution thing where yeah. it's like if you are a pimp and you have these women working for you, you don't want to give them money so you can be independent. You want to buy them nice things so they depend right. on you. But Right, exactly. I was going to say the, the, the purchases are selfish because she could she could have paid for his car. Yep. And yeah, she purposely ignores the car thing and lets it get towed so yeah. that way he definitely is stuck there. Like, it's it's a brilliant, like, a manipulative, like, where it's just like, mm-hmm. get fucking claws Yeah, I, mean, I want you to keep you with me and dependent yeah. on me. Yeah, and he like get yeah down to dressing him differently. So like you know, it's he feels different. Like he says like this isn't me. Like I want my suit back. Like mm-hmm. like I don't. And you know, and she's like I'm tired of your baggy suit and your baggy you know this and that. Like yeah. it's crazy. She's just like slowly like chipping away at him until he doesn't recognize who he is anymore. And it's great. And like and again back to my thing of like I love a movie where there's not a I don't like this first half of the movie it's painted in a way where she is like definitely the villain and kind of you're like fuck this lady but i do think enough events happen that sympathize her where you could at least understand how that mindset was born Mm -hmm. you might not want to be like like fully sympathetic but you can under you know it's not an over-the-top villain which i fucking love yeah during this time where where um after that New Year's party when he runs away and then he goes to the New Year's party with his friends and it's like it's a lot more just kind of yeah. like working class and fun. And uh, we, we see <laughs> Betty again for the second time after she hasn't been in the movie since the beginning. Mm-hmm. And she basically loves one of his ideas and wants to turn it into a screenplay. Yeah, a um, section of a movie hero. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> a flashback. Um, but I think it, it's interesting to like... I think this movie has a million themes. I don't think there's one thing this movie's about. But like one thing you could talk about it being about is like how I said he's an opportunist i kind of think this whole movie is about opportunists Mm -hmm. where betty's clearly the best character morally in the movie she doesn't really do anything wrong and i I do believe that but she is an opportunist actually no well not 100 percent. i i think she puts herself in a position to fall in love with joe even though she has a fiance right um but she is still an opportunist where like the only reason she pesters joe this whole time is because she knows she can use his idea to start a writing career so it's an interesting thing where it's like all these people are just starting off where like, ooh, I can get something out of this person. Uh-huh. And it all kind of ends up blowing up in everybody's face. Yeah. So it's kind of a story about like, like grabbing too hard or like trying to get stuff from people instead of forming real relationships. About Hollywood? Yeah, exactly. Oh, that's what those critics were getting yeah, at. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> like they were just like, yo, fuck you, guy. Like these are my friends. And it's like, you know, like, like you are my friend. Yeah. You know? 
So like, I think it's inter- and I and I think that's a hard thing to do. Like it very easily could have been where like Betty was just the moral aspect of this movie and she was there to be a juxtaposition and show how bad everyone else is being but like mm-hmm. you know she's not perfect i don't think she's bad but she's not perfect like yeah she, you know i i think she was she's always she was flirting a little too hard at that christmas exactly. party in my opinion yeah, so. the New Year's party yeah yeah oh, yeah, yeah exactly sorry. yeah probably the only good person was her fiance actually like he was the only one who like genuinely like was like how are you doing joe and, like <laughs> wanting to help and super yeah. nice but then again, is the story that in Hollywood, nice guys finish last, you know, because he kind of does finish last. Yeah, not really, actually. He kind of, <laughs> in the grand scheme of things, <laughs> I'd rather be him than anyone else. Uh, he had a gig in Arizona. It was yeah, good. yeah, he got us mixed days. <laughs> um, yeah, like, I'm, I'm pretty much ready to go into spoilers, so I want to talk about everything. But just to, just to get people up to speed, the she eventually does convince Joe to write the screenplay and so at night he sneaks out to work with Betty while writing a screenplay while at the same time living this delusional life with Norma where it's not even about writing her screenplay anymore he's right. just basically her husband they're not married but like they're playing Companion. the roles yeah yeah all right but there's I want to talk about the ending and a bunch of other stuff so let's get into spoilers if you haven't seen this movie go see it <laughs> So Joe, Joe and uh, what's-her-face kind of fall for each other, Betty, mm-hmm. you know, fucking just stealing. And it's just so sad, too, because his friend's always like, hey, Joe, what are you doing? Moving into my gal? And like, <laughs> and then he's like, yeah, guys. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> I laughed out loud because, uh, you know, obviously Joe's interested in her, but then there's a part where he's like, how old are you? And she goes, 22. And I know, like, the subtext was nice. Yeah. <laughs> like, <yeah>. legal. <laughs> It's legal. That's like that was like commendable back then. Like yeah. twenty two was three years away from being old. You know, like it's not <laughs> a year in woman's age back then was a huge difference. Jesus, I hate uh, eighteen was young, but twenty was just right. Yeah, I um, hate them. That's so funny. Um, but yeah, steals his his boy's girl. Yeah, so that's what it's I mean by like I don't up. think Joe is a commendable hero here. I don't think it's someone we're supposed to want to be. You know, yeah. Like, I think it's a cautionary tale more so than a hero's journey. But it's also interesting how much they mention the um, or like they touch on nepotism just a tiny bit in the film industry as well. Yeah, because she like supposedly like her family has been like at this studio for a long time. Yeah, and I you know like I think around. When you think about old Hollywood and, like, women being behind the screen and a writer, like, yeah. obviously that there's struggles that come with that as well. So I think that could be a reason why she's sort of, like, in the role that she has. I don't know. It could be. Who knows? My, my theory with that is I think they're just setting her up to be the complete anti-Norma uh, where she was born to a Hollywood family and kind of very well could have developed that same kind of personality and could have felt like maybe she was owed something or that she's should be a star because she's legacy mm-hmm. and then she went up to try and be a star like that yeah. they told her her nose was fucked up she tried once it didn't work but she was she, her core is so different that she was very happy to just be like oh just go try and do something else yeah i don't need to be famous and i think it was just showing like the two worlds where like uh. joe was kind of trapped between this crazy vain narcissistic like star thing versus a more down-to-earth person i know. see that's how that's uh, kind of why i think they were showing that stuff that makes sense yeah i did like the humor in her story too like uh i fixed my nose but they didn't like my acting yeah yeah my <laughs> nose <laughs> like i showed them my new nose and they loved it and what happened they didn't like my acting <laughs> <laughs> yeah that was good but uh, so we do learn some revelations about norma oh. and i think 
the, well, we'll start with the smaller one. I think the smaller one we find out is those fan letters that she receives every single day yeah. are actually written by Max. Crazy. And nobody's writing her fan letters. No one. I mean, I, I think I I think I kind of remember. I don't think I suspected that it was Max, but like specifically, but I think I was like, those might be fake or old or yeah. something. <laughs> you know? I agree. Um, And, you know, there's this whole time we still learn nothing about Max. And you're just, he gets more and more intriguing because you're like, he, you find out how invested he is in like Norma's like right illusions. Like at first you're just like, oh okay, he's a butler, he takes care of stuff, and then you're just like, okay, he's writing her fan letters. Like he's always trying to shield her from shit. Yeah, and you're like, why is he like so obsessed with her? And that's when we find out two things. First, that he's an ex filmmaker who discovered Norma when she was sixteen. Yeah, so he I know like plucked her out of obscurity and made her a star. Which, you know, I kind of gave away by talking about his casting up top. But <laughs> <laughs> um, so he has like a deep connection with her that way. But then they were also married, yeah. which is fucking creepy. Yeah, I don't like that Could at all. Could you imagine divorcing your husband, but then making him your butler? No, I cannot. And then like... He's and like, like pretend like, it's like the, the way they go about their day to day. It's like that never even happened. Like yeah. that was never part of the history. And then... I, ass- I assume that because she was 16 that that was her first husband. So then he had to live there through two other husbands. Yeah. And then who knows how many other Joes she's been, like, fucking from time to time. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like, like ah, it's just so creepy. No. That's like... No, thank you. Like, again, I think there was that, there, that, that demasculization theme in this movie where it's like, it's not the worst than that. Like, you right. know what I mean? Like, I think you have to be a little crazy to, to get in bed with Norma. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, for sure. But also, and then that turn, to me, that tells me that Max's story is, like, what could have happened to Joe yeah. if he didn't do what he does at the end of the movie. You know what I mm-hmm. mean? Like, that could have been his future as long as she doesn't, like, just drop dead. But right. she's also not that old. She's, like, 50. Like, she's, like, you know, back then they, they considered yeah. that to be basically dead. But, like, well, she's not 75. She's 50. She's yeah. gonna, if she stays healthy, which she probably won't from all those cigarettes, but... I got to say, because we find out this history about Max and like that he's the one behind the letters and all that, I thought he was making up the calls from Paramount Pictures. Like uh, I didn't, At first, I didn't think that they were calling. Yeah. I thought he was making those calls up. But then you come to find that, yes, they were calling her, but not for the script. That is terrible. Yeah, they saw her <laughs> car when she drove on the lot to drop off her script. And yeah. they wanted to rent it for an old movie. Like, this movie Oof. is just tragic yo like, when she visits the studio and she gets like that small nugget of yeah can we talk about yeah let's just unpack the whole <laughs> going to the studio because like i think that whole thing isn't just brilliant and like yeah you know, we weren't using words like meta but back then like that this is this is some meta shit you know what i mean like yeah. like this is why scream was invented years later yeah it was yeah. crazy they drive like... up to that lot and then i but here's why i think it's so brilliant because up to this point i think norma's been like borderline a monster in this movie where Uh you're just like yo this lady's nuts like get the fuck out of there fuck her like you know we didn't really talk about it but when joe leaves she she tries to commit suicide again like she's clearly got some problems and you're almost like yo fuck her but then and it's also easy to believe that she's 100% delusional mm-hmm. and that maybe she's making some of this shit up or that like... Like she wasn't as great as she... Yeah, like a lot of this yeah. is in her head. But then I think it was so smart of the movie to like bring her to the studio and it's a mix where it's like there are still people of an older generation who do remember her. Yeah. The first security guard tells her to go fuck herself. Then there's someone 20 years older than him who remembers her and 
like gives her all the respect that she did earn 20 years ago yeah and they open the door and they say you know come on in and then same thing i love that she's on set and no one really notices her until she sees that old lighting guy and she's <sighs> like hey norma it's me augie and she goes hello augie yeah. <laughs> and you know and then he he goes let's get a look at you and puts the spotlight on her and then once the spotlight hits people remembered yeah and it's like it's almost saying that like if we gave a chance to these stars mm. people would actually remember once you put them back in the light but when they're not in the light they're not yeah. going to be remembered it's yeah. so brilliant when he says put turn the light back to where it belongs that was one of the most Woo! haunting things <laughs> i want to unpack the mill um uh right after this and so it, it's it's showing that like she's not completely like they created this monster and mm. and Cecil B. DeMille understands that too, because there's that line where the guy goes, Norma Desmond's outside to see you. And he's like, Is she? And he goes, Norma. The guy goes, Norma, she must be a thousand years old. And he's like, I wonder what that makes me, you know? Because yeah. he's older than her. Yeah. And so he knows that this business is fickle and that like he also could be in her shoes. Okay. He knows that like he's not necessarily special because he's still working and, and, a, right. and famous and she's not. And with this casting of DeMille, it's again, perfect casting. Because he is one of the few directors who did make it out of the silent era. Mm. He was huge in the silent era, and then he was even bigger in the fifties. Oh, wow. like he, I would probably equate him to like a Steven Spielberg in the eighties. Like he, he made those kind of movies, like okay. very good, but also huge and successful. Like he did the Ten Commandments with Charlton Heston, like in the thirties as a silent film, and then remade it in the fifties as as a big color movie, like an epic, you know. Right, right, right. And I think that's. That goes to show you that, like, he is one of the few future-thinking directors who actually wasn't stuck in the past. Mm -hmm. So many other people from that era were, including the people who turned down this movie, who were just like, no, 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 don't make fun of us. And he knows, like, yo, things change. You have to be, like, with the times and understand that, like, everything's going to be moving forward. So that's why I think, again, it was perfect casting because he was there and he could totally understand her plight. But at the end of the day, he can also recognize that she doesn't have that same mindset. And that when it comes to modern movies, she's basically useless. So he's very warm. He's very loving. He he stops everything he's doing and goes to the door to greet her because he knows that she earned that. And that as she's there as a visitor, she's going to be treated with all the respect that she earned. But she's a visitor. And she's always going to be a visitor. And she doesn't belong there. This poses a question to me, like in Hollywood, like how do you know you're the sane or delusional one yeah i don't know because like there's like a very like it is true that people do remember her and know her as this big star but like there's that one little key missing that you're talking about that this director knows like he's on the sane side obviously like i just it's so scary how you can i could see how you can find yourself on either side and it's so easy yeah, it's, it's scary. Yeah, yeah, you don't really know which way it's gonna the pendulum's gonna go on that one. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's pretty crazy. But that's pretty cool. I didn't know that he was a an actual director. Yeah, and there's a real and he did direct Gloria Swanson a lot in the silent era. So Jeez. like there, there was that extra level of like they actually had that kind of like Who would have known paternal. that all these people work together like would be yeah. in this like meta movie? Exactly. I mean it was all cast on purpose like that. And uh Gloria Swanson said the only thing that was true in the movie, like, you know, because she's not her character at all, is that um, whenever she saw in real life, even though she was close with them, he was always Mr. DeMille, and he always called her Young Fellow. That was, like, her nickname, his uh-huh. nickname for her. And uh, she's, they said she got that because, like, she was such, like, a tough, like, 
she didn't take no shit back in the day and like she was tougher than most of the guys and so like he always called like young fellow like you know like as if she was like that's cool you know so even even as they got older and like aged and became like very old she was always young fellow to him so in the movie he says that to her character he's like hello young fellow and they hug and i just love like to play it where this is a movie critiquing hollywood but these are it's not like they're not so heartless they're not like, monsters they, they they they're playing in the interest of the business which makes them cold but they're still humans like he still like wants her to feel good like he doesn't, right. he's not there to like humiliate norma and like everyone laugh at the old hag yeah, you know like your picture was terrible yeah norma. i think i think this scene is probably the most important thing in the movie because it like it changes how i look at norma completely where mm. and even that too like one of the younger guys goes like oh yeah norma i heard she was a monster to work with and he was like only towards the end like you know like and it was like because she was sensing that it was over right and she didn't have the maturity to handle it and like it's not giving her a pass on all her behavior and her crazy shit like she definitely has tons of problems mm-hmm. but we can see how the system kind of made made those problems bigger you know like yeah it's it's really interesting i don't think that being a diva in the end ever serves anyone well. yeah <laughs> exactly yeah it always comes back to get you <laughs> and then yeah while they're on set max and joe find out that there there is no movie offer but they mm-hmm. decide to just lie to norma and and keep the facade up mm. and she starts this montage of beauty regimens and <laughs> And all this like weird shit that like who knows what they were doing to her face. <laughs> I love really. the tape on the face. Yeah, she she has such a great crazy face. Like yeah. <gasps> oh, <man>. Joe. <laughs> and then I that, can't do it on yeah. podcast. Obviously. <sighs> yeah, and then like, let's, let's, let's talk about how this movie wraps up in this ending with um, you know Norma calls Betty and starts trying to tell her the truth about Joe because she finds out Joe's in love with her. Uh-huh. And then, uh, like, what did you think? Like, I think it's so surprising from a movie to have Joe do what he did. Like, to yes. call her over and, like, self-sabotage himself. Like, it's nuts. Like, I, you're, I'm so conditioned to think of a happy ending. So I'm like, how is him and Betty going to fall off into the sunset together? You know what I mean? Yeah, I was and so confused. The end of this movie was like, you think he has some sort of alternate plan, but you realize, like, if my perspective is that, like, he, had, he came to terms with his who he became and what he's Mm. been doing and he realized he can't like he's poison in this town like if he he were to go to betty it would have been wrong like Mm -hmm. like he's been wrong to her he's been wrong to himself like going back home to ohio is the only like he has to leave hollywood like this whole thing and so i I found it very interesting where you just don't normally see that normally i feel like a movie would try to make us forgive him well i thought that he was doing like basically ripping the band-aid off like he was like, this is the only way Norma can no longer have power over me is if I'm not ashamed about if if I'm open yeah. with she can't hold this over That's over great. me. Yeah, yeah, I think that I think that too. But I also think that like inviting Betty was he almost felt like he like owed it to her. Oh. Like he was just like hmm. or I don't know if he felt like he owed it to her, but he was just like finally not lying anymore. Like Oh, I don't he, I don't think it was that noble in my opinion. I don't like, think it's noble. I think it's like I think it's like defeat. Like, I think it's just yeah. him being like, I can't like, like, cause he, the way he talks about it, he's like, he's disgusted, but he also is aware. Cause he goes like, well, why would I want to leave? Look, I got this, I got this, I got this. Like, well, yeah. When we if, get to that point, yeah, yeah. As if to be like, to be like, look, I, I got tempted and I fell for it. And like, I'm, I'm ashamed, but I did it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, that's kind of, all I got to say is, he could have done that over the phone. <laughs> I don't know. I, yeah, I think you wouldn't have this great ending. I know, like, I know. Oh, but it's so... I got to know. I just thought that was so different for a third act of I a movie. I agree. You know? I agree. 
And but then, yeah, it was surprising when he did grab the phone with such confidence too. Yeah, and he's like, like "Why don't you come over and see?" Um, <laughs> no, when no. did you tie the beginning back in? Like, I remember you said you didn't remember it. Literally, when she was going after him with the revolver. Like, so not even <laughs> earlier when she's like, "I bought a gun." Like, I thought that was gonna be no, it. Like, I like, completely <laughs> forgot about oh, the beginning so of the funny. movie. I completely forgot about it. Yeah, and now that's what I wanted to talk about. I just didn't want to ruin the the thing, but yeah. um. I don't know. By today's standards, I can see it being a little more obvious that that is Joe in the pool. But I do think it's pretty wild that the movie plays at you to make it have Joe be a dead man narrating it. Yeah. And because I, I was paying attention this time in the very beginning, he's always saying he. So he's like, yeah, he's like, like uh, he, he brushed too close with with a star and, and he made a mistake and they're pulling him out. And then all of a sudden he goes, let's flash forward six months. So I was working in a thing, and he switches to I. Yeah. And I, so it's like it's very interesting because you don't normally expect a dead man to still narrate. Yeah. And then the movie even continues when we finally catch up to that moment. He's still narrating. Yeah. Like he's talking from beyond the grave, which you know is nuts for the time. Like it's like that's such like an abstract thought mm-hmm. to like have, and it's it's been played with, it's been inspired. Like one of the most famous ones is American Beauty. One of Kevin Spacey's first lines is, I'm Lester Berman, and in a year I'll be dead. Whoa. And so you're just like, whoa, how is he going to die? You know, like, Spoiler. It, it's the first line of the movie. Uh. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's the same as this. It's, okay, they're, they're, okay. Yeah, Alan yeah. Ball was very much doing his own Sunset Boulevard. Cool. Starting a movie with a dead body, and then you find out how I completely it. fell for that wordplay. And, like, yeah. I just did it. Yeah, no, I think it's fucking awesome. Just a quick side note. I was reading, they had an original uh, opening that wasn't the pool, and they... um. I think they filmed it, but there's no footage of it anywhere. They had, like, the script you could read on the DVD. But it would have opened in a morgue in L.A., funny enough, after our morgue <laughs> talk earlier. And there would have been all these bodies lined up on stretchers with their toe tags. And then the body, who we later would have learned was, was Joe, mm-hmm. gets rolled in. And then all the bodies start talking to each other and start telling the stories of how they died. Whoa. So one would be like, oh, me? I was this and that, whatever. Weird. And then somebody would be like to joe and be like oh i see you drowned like was it in the ocean and he goes no it was a pool and they're like how's that and then he ends up telling the story to the dead bodies yeah and it's supposed to kind of be like the like there's all these mysterious stories in hollywood that we don't know and like only the dead can tell the tales and it's a really cool idea and uh, uh, even on the dvd they all said it read really good in the script i actually should have read it on the dvd i didn't but they said when they showed it to test audiences, everybody was cracking up laughing. They couldn't. I don't know if it was how they Whoa. filmed it or if it was just the. It just set the tone that this was going to be a zany comedy where like, oh, we're dead bodies, you know. And it was like, like it was supposed to be like dark funny where you're like laughing, but you're uncomfortable. But it was more like they just said everybody just kept giggling their dicks off. And they were like, we got to redo this. And then that's when they came up with, why don't we take the shot of the pool? But in the beginning, that's crazy. Yeah, yeah. So. Well, I do like that intro a lot. It's hard for me to say it would be better because this intro is so iconic. Like him in the pool. Like I just think it's such a wild way to start a movie. Mm, yeah. I like it as an idea, but I can't tell if I would think it would work or not. I like it as an idea too, and I. But I, I also feel like it's pointless if you're not gonna really dig into those other stories. Yeah. Well, that'd be weird. I no, no, I'm saying like for a movie, it doesn't make sense. Yeah, like. Yeah. 
If it were a TV show, like maybe each one uh, you like. Well, I don't know. I, I like the idea. It's like it's kind of leaving open ended. It's like you know, there's so many stories, and here's one. I guess you know? so. It's like, ooh, what else could it be? Yeah, out there? it's it's cool, but yeah, yeah. I, I like where they ended up. I kind of think yeah. of it like the beginning of uh, It's a Wonderful Life when like there's like the universes are talking to each other, and I'm sure on the script it was a lot cooler. And what we see is just like weird little lights, <laughs> and I'm, like it's like all black, and you just see these, like little flashing lights, and they're like, oh, hello, Archangel Bill. <laughs> I don't remember, but it doesn't look that good. All right, <laughs> and it's like I'm sure that it might have been something like that but yeah this this movie was crazy <laughs> yeah i mean there's so much so fucking i just love the fact that like i mean uh, i hate to be like i love the fact that no one ends up happy because i think it's some people are like oh if it is a happy ending it's dumb i don't think that's the case but i think like for this movie it's the perfect ending well like yeah like and we it... just we saw everybody just being a little too opportunistic and and like just not everybody like you know it, it didn't work out right well i don't know if that's a hundred percent true because all normal wanted was the spotlight to be on her again and i think she got that in the yeah, end yeah but i also think that she's irrevocably brain damaged after that like i, I don't think she'll ever snap out of that delusion because she didn't she truly thought cecil b demille all right we jumped like so the cops come the news cameras come and then Norma finds out that there are news cameras downstairs, and all of a sudden she transforms and thinks that she's about to right. film a scene and for Cecil B. DeMille. And freaking Max enables it. And Max, well, I mean, Max, Max is a lost cause. He's been enabling. He wasn't gonna he's change his ways. He's crazy too. Oh yeah. I don't think. Are you yeah. Me? Of course he's crazy. <laughs> Who the fuck would live that life? You know, like after what he's been through. He's like, I'm a director again. Yeah, I actually wrote. I was like, Max's story is a thousand times more tragic than Norma's. Mm. Like, you know what I mean? Like, Norma's is tragic, but Max's is like, like I would kill myself if I was Max. <laughs> but yeah, like that, and then yeah, that that whole scene of her coming down the stairs. It's just like, yeah. Ah, what is the like, scene? Like, yeah, and then she's she's doing it, and she's she's acting the same way like a silent star would act, like all with her hands and. And this and that, because you know she hates dialogue, so her script barely had dialogue, and she thought Max was Cecil, and like, yeah. So I don't think this is supposed to be a good ending at all. I think she's truly stuck. She's always been one foot in a delusional world and one foot in reality, and I think this ending is two feet out yeah. of reality, and I don't think she'll ever come back out of it. Well, but I think she's happy. <laughs> That's all uh, I'm saying. I mean, but is that happy? <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Were the guys in Cuckoo's Nest happy because they could they could dance the waltz all day? Like, or did he not know where he was? You know, it's like right. I don't think that's happiness. I think it's happy for them because they're just they they're un they're they don't know what reality uh, is anymore. It's like being a. Uh... I just don't think happy is the word. I think like okay, complacent. Like I don't know what it is, but it's like happy. Like because eventually those cameras aren't going to be eventually she's going to be locked up in some weird padded room like she's not right. like it's when she sees the cameras that she's acting like that let's talk about it a little bit more and right. be on the credits yeah. later all right jeez louise want to start out with some best worst stuff sure my best worst is really just uh it's actually really a worst worst I thought that there were a lot of cool devices and such that were uh, uh, present in this movie. Uh-huh. So I just wanted to do a worst, worst uh, device. <laughs> right, you're going to have to go. I think I'll just sit back for this one because I don't know what you're talking about. So I, uh, there were just like, so for example, the cigarette holder. Oh, yeah. The one finger cigarette holder I thought was, was freaking ridiculous. What? That was so cool. I was i it just it enhanced her claws even more it did but like 
Think about it. You get to smoke cigarettes. You don't get that like smell on your fingernails. I like, get it. It's, it's I, pretty, like I thought it. it was elegant. I've seen it before, but I've seen the one where they where you hold it. Yeah, I've seen. I've that. never seen the one where it's attached to your I, I finger. Think it's pretty gangster. Uh, I did not like I it. I think it's pretty cool. So that's a worse for me. And that's, then that's a <laughs> I know what you're gonna say. The car phone. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Yo. That car phone was freaking hilarious yeah, because I, I, I want to paint how they say it though because he's like his voiceover is like she would take me in drives in the blah 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 car it was fancy it even had one of those the new age car phones and you know as a modern view in your head because I, I, immediately I was like how did they have that technology back then right like, like you are you are have to call the operator from your house like how the fuck did they have the navigation the cell wait are satellites how do you have a car phone and then she picks up the car phone and talks to max who's driving the car literally so, a foot away so it's a phone that goes from the driver's seat to the back seat and it was and it was even funny because it was like a convertible so like yeah like, like she could have just tapped him on the shoulder <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's like that's like some like rich people nonsense. Yeah, like, it really was. I uh, mean, like the car phone. If cell phones weren't invented, I think the actual the regular car phone could have been something that stuck around. Yes, but what cell phones came out? But like that that car phone. That was that's a waste. That was hilarious to me. So I just needed to note those two things. <laughs> my worst worst. That's good. That's good. Yeah, I, I had nothing. But let's go beyond the credits. Okay, so. For my beyond the credits, I mean, I just to go back to, you know, whether or not Nor Norma's happy, I think she is. I think that this ending reminded me of King of Comedy in a sense where, like, she could essentially market this tragedy of hers, like this mental illness. Like, I think that Hollywood could be f so fascinated by how off the rails she is Ooh, okay. that she's actually like she gained spin success yeah, yeah. and spin it and be in the spotlight once again like not in the way that she wants or that she's conscious of but like that's the that's the kind of ending now, and beyond does, the credits now, that i'm now thinking. where does the fact that she committed a crime fall into it for you right like i think that's the sensation like this is the biggest like hollywood crime of all time like i think that max could really like direct the hell out of this story. i know but like how does she what what about like jail no, I think she could get away with it and plead insanity. But I think that, like, you know. Yeah, I, and I like the idea. I just think it would be tough to kill a man and then spin it. Well, in the I other mean, movie, in King of Comedy, he, he kidnaps him for sure, which is very bad. But he does go to jail and f do his full sentence for kidnapping. Like, right. murder is, like... I guess so. But, like... Like, it's after jail that he gets a success. When you think about it, like, how much do people really know about Joe? That's true, yeah. That she could just, yeah, him, her and Max could make the whole story up. Right. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. So, I, I think oh, I like that. the only reason why we know so much about Joe is because he's the narrator. Yeah, yeah, that's true. All right, I like that. I so, like that. that's kind of where I landed on that. Can, can I give you mine? Sure. I, I, I tried to stick with the dark uh, Hollywood is evil tone for my Beyond the Credits. Mm -hmm. So, I thought that Norma... Uh, one hundred percent gets institutionalized. Mm. I don't think I do think they go the insanity route, but I think they lock her up like in some kind of like place. You know what I mean? Like not necessarily jail, but she's in an institution. Okay. Um, and Max. Uh, I don't or know. What get to that? I don't know. What he fucking gets <laughs> something. <laughs> he goes to jail too. Um, but then I feel like oh wait no I wrote no I wrote it in okay okay, yeah, okay. nice. So I feel like because this is a pretty cynical movie, I think that we would then find out that Norma never made any sort of will because she was so delusional that she might have thought, like, oh, I'll never die. I'm a star. Oof. Like, who need like wills are for regular people. Right. So because of that, Max will get nothing out of her 
out of her estate or anything mm. like once she gets locked up like max will be like they'll be like you don't live here anymore like you get no money you're you're poor right and then all her stuff would get auctioned off by hollywood so like Ooh. the leeches who took her life would then take her things but then all her movies all her stuff and her house would be used as props and sets <gasps> for future movies Damn. so she would be discarded but her things wouldn't which wow. would be like the ultimate nail in the coffin to be like hollywood doesn't give a fuck about you yeah uh so that was my like beyond the credits Damn. it's dark as fuck but like so like like, the car was like a foreshadowing. Yeah, yeah, where it's like that's how little you mean to them that like your shit meant more. That's than, crazy. Like, the stuff you bought is more of a legacy than the work you did, you know? Oh. That was my thing. I like it. Okay. That and, hurts. Then I, and then I got a fourth sequel. This is going to make no sense to you and probably not to most of the listeners, but if anyone's seen the movie that I'm going to reference, it's fucking dope. Okay. And I'm not going to talk a lot about it because I'm going to show you this movie eventually. And yeah. I know you'll forget this, so I don't mind saying it. Um, <laughs> Because I'm not going to show it to you for a while. Okay. Um, so, yeah. Same thing. Norma's locked in institution. This is a sequel now, right? This okay. Is, this is, this is uh, Sunset Boulevard 2. Uh, <laughs> Norma's in institution, and she's been there for 10 years. She's just been living there, and, like, who knows? Like, Liz still living in her delusion. I, we'll, we'll figure it out. We'll fill in the blanks. I didn't write the script yet. Okay. Uh, <laughs> she's living in there. And then a new patient comes in, and it's, it's actress Betty Davis playing Baby Jane from the movie Whatever Happened to Baby Jane. Again, you don't know what this means. No, nope. I, most people haven't even seen that movie, but if you have, it's fucking awesome, just like this movie. And let's just say the characters have a couple similarities. And now the two of them live in this place, and they have a rivalry. And they start, they can't coexist in the same place, and it becomes crazy manipulative psycho versus crazy manipulative psycho in this institution. Right. And they're 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 rivalry ricochets through and just uh, shit happens man like people are getting roped in and like it's just th these two insane people can't live and it's silly and over the top and it's taking two great movies and making a freddy vs jason out of it so it's, it's stupid Ooh. i'm not trying to say this is gonna be a good movie but it'll be hilarious okay I'm i talking, can't wait to I'm understand this i'm talking baby jane versus norma desmond in the ultimate sequel. I'm just thinking like a like a Disney exec. That's how it's okay. you know and it's gonna be on Disney Plus. It's gonna, <laughs> no, it's gonna be on, it's gonna be on Paramount Plus with all the great pictures from Paramount. Ah. I don't know if, if what happened to Baby Jane is Paramount or not, but it's gonna be Baby Jane versus Norma Desmond. <laughs> this and is that, and that's that's Sunset Boulevard too. Wow, what a picture. <laughs> what a story. The greatest story of all time. Thankfully, this movie has never been remade. Um, they've been offered... Billy Wilder's been asked a thousand times, and uh -huh. he's always said, go fuck yourself. I think that if this movie was to be remade, Joe could be played by Ewan McGregor. I think he would be a great Joe. Ah, I can see that. Yeah. Who would you want to be, Norma? Oof. <laughs> With the claws. I don't know. I'd have to think about that a little um, bit. So it wasn't remade, but it was adapted into a Broadway musical Ooh, in 1993, musical. or it opened in 94 uh, in Broadway, uh, and Glenn Close was uh, Norma. Oh, she'd be good. Yeah, and so it went, I was doing a little research on it, it went for like four years or something, I think it closed in like 97, mm -hmm. but then they brought it back, not on Broadway, but like in London in like 2016, mm -hmm. and then she's been doing it, like with Glenn Close again, and she's been doing it like consistently for like four or five years Whoa. Um, since then, and then apparently Paramount Plus was planning on doing a film, like filming the, the show and right, releasing right, right. it on Paramount Plus. And then COVID just fucked it up. So, like, it's just kind of in limbo. Ooh. But, like, as like it was supposed to be released in, like, 2020. Like, that was, like, the plan. Wow. So, this would have had a little mini um, 
revival. And I'd be curious, like I was watching an interview with Glenn Close and she was saying that like, you know, this is probably her favorite movie of all time. She thinks Norma Desmond's one of the best characters. Yeah. But the way she talked about it, she was like, it would be gross to remake this movie, which is why I only agreed to do it because it's a musical and it's so different mm. that I actually think it's like, it's a completely, not completely, but a very different take on the source material. So yeah. I'd actually be curious to see how they turn it into a musical. Me too. Um, but I, I have a feeling this might not be as like dark as this movie. I don't know. We'll yeah, it, musicals are hard yeah. to like get the tone that this movie has. Exactly. Yeah. But I mean, it's a huge hit. Like you know, the fact that it was on Broadway for four or five years, like came back again. You know. Like, the but that's that's the thing. only thing outside of like being referenced in a thousand and one things. Right. Like uh, that's uh, that's the main thing. Uh, probably the most famous story of after this movie came out was, um, like I said, some people in the industry didn't like the movie. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, Louis B. Meyer, who is the Meyer of MGM, the Metro Golden oh, Meyer, like one of the founders of MGM, oh, geez. he, uh, went up to him at a party, uh, in like a, a big crowded party full of celebrities and everyone instead of like berating Billy Wilder for making this movie. What? And, uh, his, he said, you have disgraced the industry that made you and fed you. You should be tarred and feathered and run out of Hollywood. And then Billy Wilder looked at him in the face and said, go fuck yourself. <gasps> <laughs> and uh, it was like, it's like, it's like, I heard that story from like five different interviews. So I believe that it happened exactly. Yo, like, what? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't understand. I just love Billy Wilder, man. Uh, like, That's pretty awesome. It's, it's, it's a movie's really indicting the whole industry and like how they treat actors and like it's not. But nice. it's freaking true. I know, but they don't want that aired out. Like, that's not, there's no internet there. No one's writing Reddit posts about, you know, like that shit's a secret. Like, yeah. everyone, you watch, you know, you watch Singing in the Rain. It's yeah. supposed to be la da da. Look how much fun we're having. Yeah. Like He's it's... like, you're supposed to you're supposed to acknowledge it and make a movie about the opposite, but then do the thing in the yeah, movie. But then be way worse <laughs> than anything. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Alright, so let me wrap this Wow, up. that's crazy. Yeah, yeah, I just had this. And he never cool. made an MGM picture. Yeah. Oh, uh, and the Broadway musical I forgot to say was uh Andrew Lloyd Webber that did it. Oh. Yeah. Nice. I knew you would like that. Yeah, he's awesome. All right, Masha. I mean, I'm gonna be. I'm gonna try not to just repeat myself because I feel like I've already pleaded my case of like why I love this movie and why I chose it today. But as a super quick just wrap up here, I kind of just find this to be. I mean, I know you hate when I say this and your eyes always roll, but I kind of find this to be a perfect movie in my eyes. It's not only just from a story perspective; it's just filled with complex, tragic characters like nobody's one note. Um, and then on top of that, the technical aspects are just phenomenal. They're doing stuff with the camera that's never been done before. The score is beautiful. I think everything from the set, like there's not, there's nothing about this movie that wasn't meticulously thought about. And then also when it comes down to the editing and the script, like I don't even think there's any fat in this movie. There's very, there's, there's not even a scene I could think to be like, why is that in there? That's all too long. Like we learn something in every scene. Everything moves it forward from a character perspective. It's just goddamn insane. And the fact that it doesn't belong to every single genre is really why I love it. You know me, I love a little levity in everything. When something is just so one note, I tend to just get a little... I, I never get to tap into it the way I do because life isn't like that. You could be having the worst day of your life and you could also... Something very funny could happen where you fall on the floor laughing in that same day. Like, life is that. So I like my movies to be that. And I think this one nails that where you're laughing, you're scared, you're sad, you're... you're whatever. There's you're, you're so many things in this. So Billy Wilder is just the wildest. I think this holds up <laughs> incredibly well, better than most things in its decade of its era. 
And I think uh, I just if you haven't if, if if the only reason you've never watched this is because you're like, hey, it's old. I think you're missing out. I think this is why movies are made. And I think like just all those aspects would just I hope you love it too. So do you love this picture? Do you not love this picture? I love it. Did the screens get too small? I don't know. Paramount Pictures made a movie about Paramount Pictures. And the they made a picture about Paramount Pictures. They made a picture about Paramount Pictures. There's a lot of dramatics in this movie. A lot of great dialogue. A lot of great acting. This is Masha Paul reporting to you live from the Love What I Love studio to tell you that she loves it. Uh, uh, yeah, I do. I do. Uh, this this movie is pretty great. <laughs> um, great follow up to Singing in the Rain. I thought it was a great beyond the credits of you right. know that that storyline of this, silent to talk this might be my best connection i've made yet like yeah. i try to connect my with pics with yours i think this might be the best one i think so and just yeah i liked how unpredictable it was what you're just saying like in terms of like the genre and then just where the story was going i had no idea and it's always nice to like watch a movie like that where you just like don't know like i we're in this age where, you know, there's a lot of predictable plots and it's yeah. nice to go back and just be like, whoa, like I had no idea where this was going. I didn't even know the title of the movie. So <laughs> it was a great surprise all around. Oh, fantastic. <laughs> oh, I'm so excited. That's great. And right. that was a Paramount picture. All right. I'm going to have to keep in mind, we got to keep keep some of these old Hollywood classics in the rotation for the show. You know, we can't. We got to keep them alive. <laughs> I love it. All right, folks, that's our show. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoy our podcast, please be sure to subscribe and tell a friend. Also, if you have the time, take a moment to rate and review. Every bit of feedback helps. I'm Masha. And I'm Andy. And I hope you love what I love. I hate these ghastly podcasts. In my day, we watched movies and shut the hell up about it. There was once a time in this business when we had the eyes of the whole world. But that wasn't good enough for Andy and Masha. Oh, no. They had to have the ears of the whole world, too, and make a podcast. And they opened their big mouths, and all that came out was tuck, 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 tuck. That's amazing. <laughs>